0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I am here by myself with no one else except for Ryan and Pelham looking at me and staring down into my eyes. Uh, this is the second week in a row where I don't have Shelly Mazzanova with me on the mic. Actually, maybe the third week in a row, as I'm thinking about what we published uh, on the Dragon Talks. So, uh, she will be coming back next week, I promise. She will be returning uh, and we will have more uh, updates about what her vacation was like. We'll find out if she got to play any games with Quinn uh, and w- all of that fun stuff. I'm sure she's got stories to tell, uh, as she always does. Uh, so, we look forward to that. Um, we're also looking forward to uh, a bunch of things here in D&D. Uh, one is the interview that's coming up uh, on this here podcast. We're talking to folks from the Broken Pact, um, uh, a D&D show uh, that's been set in the world of Ravnica, which is from Magic the Gathering. Uh, we released Guildmaster's Guide to um, Ravnica last week fall, uh, and folks have really enjoyed it, um, and uh, uh, it's full of lore uh, about that world and everything involved in it, so we'll be talking to uh, Ruben Bressler, the Dungeon Master for that, as well as two of the cast members, uh, Ashlyn Rose and Jordan Pridgen, and that's going to be tons of fun, so can't wait to jump in. Um, we also have a Sage Advice uh, coming down the pipe, which we don't get to do uh, as much as I would love, uh, so we'll be talking to Jeremy Crawford in the, in the segment for that. Um, so that's one thing we're looking forward to. Uh, another thing we're looking forward to is Ghost of Salt Marsh. Uh, that book comes out May twenty first. It is real ghosty. Uh, you get to play, um, you know, w- uh, with your dungeon master as a a, a, a player uh, going through a nautical campaign. There's lots of ghosts in the sea. And so, who again? It will take you from, if you play through all of the adventures in uh, that book that were updated from previous adventures published uh, in uh, the Dungeons & Dragons canon, uh, they're all updated for 5th edition uh, and strung together in a campaign uh, that was created by the, D&D, the current D&D team to um, you know create a continuous story that will take you from levels 1 all the way up to level 12. Uh, and perhaps beyond because there is tons of uh, you know, material in there that you can use in seafaring campaigns uh, and either you know, using those adventures uh, or not, just throwing them in there. So that's awesome, and I can't wait for that. Um, there's two covers for that, just to make sure everyone knows. One is the standard cover that, uh, was designed by Gregorz Rutkowski. Uh, it's fantastic. Got a kraken taking down a ship in the background, as well as, uh, in the foreground. a again, climbing into a small boat with D&D adventurers. I love that piece of art. It's fantastic. Uh, it is being shown right now, for those of you who are watching on twitch.tv uh, slash D&D. And then there is, of course, an alternate cover that is designed by N.C. Winters, a wonderful artist, uh, and it features a uh, Sohu again in all of its glory, reaching out towards uh, the viewer, and uh, uh, it's got claws and scales. Um, the cover itself has a has a soft touch to it, similar to Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, and it also has a kind of a metallic kind of sheen to it uh, within the artwork. So that... Alternate cover is only available in game stores. You can only get it there. So, if you're interested in grabbing the alternate cover, go into your game store now. Let them know that you want to purchase it when it comes out on May 21st. Uh, all other uh, outlets that you would purchase Dungeons and Dragons stuff, whether that be. Um, you know, online or at big box stores, at bookstores, uh, through uh, some of our uh, online uh, d and partners like Fantasy Grounds, uh, Roll20, or d Beyond. You can purchase all that also on May 21st. Pre-orders are open for those as well. Uh, another thing that we're looking forward to in Dungeons & Dragons world is Aquisins Incorporated, the book. Uh, it is coming out on June 18th, and it is uh, 224 pages of comedy adventure goodness. Um, I've been using the word madcap as an adjective to describe what happens uh, on stage at PAX, and you'll be able to recreate that at your very table using all the content in Accredits Incorporated, uh, mostly written by Jerry Holkins as well as uh, some other fantastic um, writers out there uh, cobbled together using uh, stuff from different sources as well as um, an adventure or like a mini campaign. You'll be able to start up your own Chapter of acquisitions incorporated uh in the in, using the guidelines in that book um, and it's, and it's got tons of fun stuff uh hopefully uh, uh you know you've seen an episode or two of acquisitions incorporated at paxs around the you know, last decade or so of them having to in uh, uh, together. Um, the almost current inter- iteration has Jeremy Crawford as the Dungeon Master and it is pretty fun. I've seen, uh, you know, I-, I guess not enough of it, uh, but there is one gif going around with Jeremy Crawford waving his finger at the camera that is just basically everything I love uh, about... Uh, about d and d summed up in one one fell swoop uh so check that out uh, if you haven't already and uh you know look forward to acquisitions incorporated coming to bookstores as well as all those other uh, outlets um on june eighteenth um so that's gosh that's one more thing we're looking forward to the other thing we're looking forward to is d and d live twenty nineteen the descent this event is coming off the heels of the multi award-winning Stream of Many Eyes. I say multi uh, because we just were found out today, uh, as I'm recording this, uh, that we received a second award for the Stream of Many Eyes as an event. Yay! Yay! Uh, that's right. We got the Drum Marketing Award uh, in the USA. Those uh, those awards were UK-based uh, previously, but now they have a USA chapter. Uh, and uh, we received an award for Best uh, Event-slash-Experiential Strategy um, and I think the stream of many eyes actually was a combination of both of those. You got to experience being in the city of Waterdeep at uh, D&D Live as well as having an event and and, and uh, experience that all with, with uh, the D&D community. And we are expanding upon all of those award-winning ideas uh in the next event uh, as i said D live 2019 the descent it is at the same location that the stream of many eyes was uh at line 204 studios may 17th 18th and 19th uh at 4 p.m on may 17th you'll find out what the new adventure coming from dungeons and dragons is going to be this year it is Pretty darn cool, uh, I have to say. Everyone that I have uh, mentioned it to, uh, and that includes all the podcasters, streamers, YouTubers, and uh, other fun uh, musicians and comedians and actors that I've been assembling for this event. Uh, Everyone that I've told them about what the story is going to be has pretty much uh, had the same reaction, which is, What? Or, Oh my goodness. Uh, no, that's, that's none of those. No, nobody had that exact reaction. But I'm, I'm extrapolating. That's what they would, you know, they're, they're all been pretty amazed. And I can't wait for the fan community to have that same reaction when we start talking about it on May 17th. We'll throw out a whole bunch of information about the, the products that are associated with that, as well as allowing people to play. In that world, immediately—well, not immediately. The next day, uh, folks will be able to. uh, And everybody who's got a badge and a ticket to uh, D and D Live will be able to play in a D and D epic set in the exact same world, uh, using themes and characters and dare I say, monsters from the adventure that we just announced the day prior. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, D&D epics are a special way to play Dungeons & Dragons. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, it is, um, in this case, going to be 25 tables. Uh, So whatever, 6 times 25 is 150, something like that. 150 D&D players, each with their own uh, Dungeon Master, so 25 DMs, and then 2 to 3 uber DMs that are controlling what's happening in the entire Space. So uh, everyone in the room, uh, that's all those 150 players are all working towards the same meta goals. But you're all playing like different little squads uh, that are working together uh, more locally at your table. There will be things that happen that will affect um, the tables that are you know, directly adjacent to you as well as the entire room, uh, which I find really fascinating. And it's basically like a huge cooperative storytelling event all told through Dungeons & Dragons Adventurers League. And uh, we're amping it up for this event by having uh, lots of visuals, lots of, you know, it's going to be on an amazing set, it's going to be full of uh, costumed NPCs walking around delivering, uh, you know, some story, um, you know, maybe giving you uh, some choices to the players. Lighting is going to be key. Uh there's gonna be some extra special miniatures that everyone is gonna be able to play with and I'm very excited. Um so it's it's gonna be a super premium event and I can't wait for folks to be able to jump in and uh start playing Dungeons and Dragons at one of the events that we're creating, uh talking about D. So that's that's great. There's gonna be three sessions of that. They're three hours long each. People who have purchased badges for D live to this scent, uh, I encourage you to uh grab your tickets for each one of those sessions if you haven't already. Um, and But that's not all. That's like just, like, you know, I, I, I want to say a fifth of the stuff that's going on at Dungeons & Dragons Live or D&D Live, depending on, you know, whether you mess it up or not. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be four studio pods happening uh, or, or having content going all Saturday and all Sunday. So if you take all the type of streaming that we did at the Stream of Many Eyes and... Multiply it by four, uh, you might get close to the amount of, of hours of uh, content that will be streaming uh, on this twitch channel as well as other multiple twitch channels twitch channels uh, but also Facebook live uh, Twitter. Um, all kinds of different ways to uh, get the content. YouTube gaming, all those stuff, we're going to be streaming to as many platforms as possible to capture the largest number of audience possible. So uh, that is pretty exciting. A L- lot of the groups that we have announced already uh, are scheduled out, and it's, it's a pretty robust schedule, so it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, I'm also really excited about the podcasters uh, that will be there, as well as some of the YouTubers uh, that uh, are, um, you know, deliver content that is not necessarily gameplay related but you know kind of talking about what D&D is and some some interesting ways to do fun things. So uh that will be going on uh as I said all day on Saturday and Sunday and then we'll have uh evening time per- performances and entertainment. Uh, in the main studio room uh, that will be uh, live D&D games, similar to what we've done the last few years with a star-studded cast. That'll happen on Friday night and Saturday night. Dungeon Masters for that are going to be uh, Kate Welch, Jeremy Crawford, Chris Perkins. And I haven't really announced this yet, but I, I think I'm going to spoil it right here. Marisha Ray from uh, a Critical Role will be... Um, the uh, other Dungeon Masters. We're going to have four uh, for that, so that's really exciting, uh, and uh, we'll be doing, we'll be letting everybody know the full cast list for those events on Friday and Saturday night um, at, during D&D Live uh, very soon. Uh, check out d- dnd.wizards.com slash live 2019 for all of your information about that event uh, and purchase tickets if you can. And then on Sunday night, the main piece of entertainment that will close it all out is a music performance uh, from members of the D&D community, some amazing bands. Uh, Chris Funk from The Decemberists has put together an amazing bill of uh performers and uh that'll be like a, a two to three hour long concert uh in and uh, celebration of D we will show off some cosplay and all the fun stuff that's going on there because uh and this is the final fifth of what's going on at DD live there is going to be cosplayers uh and vendors dressed up as if they are in the adventure uh that we'll be announcing on that friday uh, so you'll be able to purchase all kinds of uh, D&D merch you can't get anywhere else from those partners as well as experience a storyline from costumed performers that will, um, you know, give little tidbits and improvise stories with you. And if you do all of the, the content of that story, all that quest, you will receive a very special piece of loot that you can't get anywhere else. Um, and it, uh, it, 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 it's going to be a circle. Um, check it out if you can uh, so uh, yeah that's that's DND live 2019 the descent uh, it is very exciting it's what I've been working on a lot the last few months as well as pretty much everybody here on the d and team putting some uh, time and energy into making that be awesome and I can't wait to show it off uh, it is going it's less or it's about a month away a month and a week away so um, mark your calendars uh, for those of you at home you can watch again all of it on uh, twitch TV slash uh, DD or go to the website uh, to find find out all that we'll will be showing off all of the content that's streaming live from that website so you'll be able to pick and choose what to watch uh, and of course all of it will be available on demand after the event but uh, uh we're looking forward to getting as many eyeballs as possible watching D live and uh, celebrating everything that's great about the D community and uh, i can't wait it's gonna be fun So, uh, gosh, I have to do this all again with Shelly. I have to learn all up on on what this event is all going to be next week. Uh, But we have uh, amazing guests uh, who will be dropping in here on the podcast, talking about what they're going to be doing uh, at the event uh, in the couple of weeks to come. That's going to be exciting. Uh, Some of the folks I've already mentioned are going to be there. So the Broken Cast... The Broken Pact cast is going to be there, uh, you know, playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, live in front of everyone at that studio, uh, in one of those studio pods. Um, uh, Tales from the Mists, who I've already mentioned, they are going to be there, um, as well as our friends uh, D&D Beyond. They'll be doing tons of content from their studio. Um, and, uh, you know, dare I say, me and Shelley might also be there. Might, I mean, yes, we will definitely be there. We will be drinking some coffee in the morning times, talking about all of uh, the fun products that our partners and stuff are able to do, uh, bringing in people like, uh, you know, Justin Zoran from uh, WizKids. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, hopefully Matthew Lillard from Beetle and Grimm's about what they've got planned for this adventure. And uh, maybe even talk to Joe Manganello about uh, Death Saves and what uh, he's able to bring to the event. Uh, so that's just, us you know, a smattering of the folks that we'll be talking to, but uh, there's just so much content there, I can't even get it into talking about it in 15 minutes. So we'll be doing more stuff uh, very soon, and uh, rather than continue to listen to just my voice, let's, let's add in some other voices, shall we? Uh, so let's uh, have a little... Uh, before we get to our interview with the Broken Pact cast, let's um, uh, hear from Jeremy Crawford about uh, his sage advice on uh, all, all of the things... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sage Advice. Uh, This is the segment where me, Greg Tito, speaks to Jeremy Crawford. Hello. How's it going? Great. It's good to be here. Good to have you back. Uh, We will uh, dive into your brain uh, to find out all about uh, some D&D rules, as well as some of the philosophy behind those rules. That's what these Sage Advice segments are all about. And today, we're going to talk about monster customization. That's right. How to make the monster inside you more... Custom made. <laughs> <I don't
1: know. laughs> this is this is suddenly becoming very therapeutic. Exactly right. Let's yes. actually talk
0: about the monster. Would you can. like me to lie down uh, as, yeah. as we discuss this? Yes. Tell, tell me about your inner monster, Greg. <laughs> well, it's got like three eyes. Uh, it can fly
1: around. It predicts the future. Mine. Mine is like one of those. Uh, those little ugly dolls. So, you know, like three-eyed and purple, but if you give it a hug, it's cuddly. And
0: you're like, oh, it's kind of got some cuteness to it too. Yeah, Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Uh, so well, let's let's embrace this topic, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> our, our inner monsters. Our inner monsters. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, there are, obviously there's tons of monsters in, available for Dungeons and Dragons in our in our monster manuals and, and uh, Volos Guide to Monsters as well as other supplements. Um, but we always consistently get that feedback of like, how do I make my own monster or how can I change the power level of monsters that are there? Exactly. And and there are really
1: two different categories that people are in when they ask that question. One category is, I'm designing something for DMs Guild or maybe even hoping to design something officially for the game. Mm -hmm. How do I make a monster that's going to appear in a product? The other category are the people who are just DMing D&D and they want to do that special thing for their table. It might be a monster that appears only once and you know never shows up again, it might be a special feature of the campaign they're running where you know they want a particular villain or a group or a big beast that's going to be a recurring element and they're like, "Well, how do I do it?" Yeah. So today I want to focus on that second category, okay? So this is not for the designers out there. This is for dungeon masters. Of okay. course, Every dungeon master is, in some ways, a game designer, Uh, but I'm really wanting us to to dig into how can you make monsters your own as a DM, demystify it, and really encourage everyone to be lazy about it. Uh, Because I think people get really uh, concerned about, are they doing it correctly, Mm. and what I want us to really delve in today is: it's pretty easy to pull it off. Have your players have a good time, and not have to do a whole lot of work.
0: And that's the and that's the real goal, right? It's not necessarily to do it "quote unquote" correctly or as if you know Jeremy Crawford was designing this or something like that. It's best to do it in a way that makes uh, you know your experience and your players' experience fun at the table. Exactly. So a few a few sort of. Uh,
1: foundational things to keep in mind, DMs, when you're making your own monsters uh, for your group, this is again, as opposed to a monster you might be writing for something that's going on the DMs guild or whatnot. Mm. It's just your players are, are really the only people who are going to run into this thing. One, they can't see behind the DM screen. So... They don't know if you're, quote-unquote, breaking the rules or not going by the book or not following challenge rating guidelines. Mm. So you can let go a little bit. Uh, all they know is what you describe, And what they're going to encounter in combat or in a non-combat situation. Because sometimes the creatures we create for a particular adventure, you never fight them, but instead you might have some weird riddle-filled conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you might go to a a strange masquerade in a haunted castle and you suddenly find yourself... You know, dancing with this multiple-tentacled, multiple-eyed critter that's not hostile, but you have to figure out the right dance steps with it uh, to find out where the treasure is. Nice. Uh, that creature that I just described, which just popped right out of my head, we don't have that creature literally in any of our books. Yeah. But it's pretty easy uh, to just make that thing happen. So, again... Remember, your players can't see behind your screen. Mm -hmm. Next, sort of ground rule DMs. If you don't have to, don't make anything new at all. Reskin, reskin, and reskin some more. Mm. A big advantage of your players not being able to see behind the screen is they have no idea if you grab a Modron stat block, for example, and use that stat block to represent a creature that you describe as maybe a walking jack-in-a-box mm. uh, or an animate snow globe or even a giant pig. Uh, they they have no idea unless they're like peeking over the screen and they can see what page you're open to in the monster manual. And
0: in that case, you just need a taller screen.
1: <laughs> yes, taller screen. Or this is one, one reason why I like... Um, Screen capturing uh, stat blocks from D&D Beyond and then I'm putting them in my Microsoft OneNote. Mm. Uh, So then my stat blocks are on my laptop screen uh, when I DM and – uh, then my players can't see what, what
0: stat block I'm using for the weird thing I just described to them. And that's an important thing to note is because, you know, you can you'd essentially use any monster uh, and, and describe it differently and use the mechanics for, for that monster. And, you know, your players will never know the difference and it'll feel just as well as long as you can describe it in a way that, that makes sense to you and to the players.
1: Yeah. So... So one thing I do all the time when I want to introduce a little twist in my campaign, I want to keep my players on their toes, is I will grab a stat block that's close to the thing I want, describe it however I want, uh, and they often never know I'm just using... I might be using the Hobgoblin stat block for the third time in the campaign, but the first time it was actually a Hobgoblin... Uh, The second time, it was a walking, human-sized toy soldier. And, you know, the third time, uh, it might have been, I don't know, an animate candy bar. You know, I haven't (laughs) actually done that. But uh, if your players can't see the stat block, they don't know what that thing
0: is. We we started this by talking about your inner monsters, and so far, out of the... Eight examples that have come out of your head—they've all been like walking toys that are very creepy. <laughs> so now, now I want to know what's going on in Jeremy's head.
1: <laughs> well, in in uh, in my gothic horror campaign, I I do occasionally have animate toys because there's something scary about. There that.
0: Is there is for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, now what you can also do that's sort of adjacent to reskinning. Uh, pure reskinning is you don't change anything in the stat block at all. You just simply change the description of the monster. Right. Sort of adjacent to that is taking an existing stat block, maybe change the description, and then maybe change a detail or two. I do that a lot too. Mm. Uh, And right here on the table, I actually have Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes open to a page uh, where I did exactly this in my home campaign uh, within the past year. Mm-hmm. In my home campaign, there was this. Again, this is going to go along with the theme of strange animate things. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, player characters, they arrived at the bone grinder windmill that's in Curse of Strahd. Okay. However, t- this is 200 years after Curse of Strahd, and the story is that the hags. Hold up inside that windmill, it was surrounded, it was set on fire, and as a last-ditch last effort to save themselves, they performed a ritual to try to phase the windmill into the Feywild. Okay. So what happened then 200 years later, while my group was making their way there, is they encountered a ghostly version of this windmill sort of out of phase like it was partially in one plane of existence and partly in another yeah and the hags had all turned into these strange spectral forces and I decided I wanted them to animate the windmill itself. Oh. So often when I'm creating an encounter, I do this in my home game. I do this also in Acquisitions Incorporated. I'm always thinking about, like, what's the set piece? What visual thing are my players going to take away from this scene that's going to make it memorable? Yeah. Uh, and often that memorable thing is not a game mechanic. It's often a story element, a description. An odor. An odor, a joke. And so the thing I wanted here was I want them to fight a windmill. Uh, And so, again, the conceit being that this this coven of hags had, like, essentially disintegrated themselves or turned themselves into this ghostly form along with their windmill as they tried to phase it into the Feywild. And now they're sort of merged with the windmill and animating it. So, sure, I could have created a stat block for... An animated windmill but this is for my home game right and i make i make stat blocks for a living for D books yeah so in my home game i actually like to model the advice that i give everyone else and that is be lazy when possible because <laughs> <laughs> this is because this is again my home game it's for fun it's just to enjoy yeah
0: you don't want to be spending you know hours and hours and hours prepping and creating new set blocks for the thing that you want to just enjoy around the table yeah now I do have to say, if I didn't
1: work on the game, I probably would create the stat blocks. But it's just, I, in my job, get to scratch that itch of... Because I actually love making monster stat blocks. Sure.
0: And there are Dungeon Masters who love doing that, too. So, always At, follow, follow your bliss, follow man. Follow your
1: bliss. <laughs> yes, always. Uh, but I was, being, I was being lazy. And yeah. plus, I knew we had just created a stat block that would give me exactly what I want. And that is well, it's actually two stat blocks, I have Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes open to. And that is the stat block of the Eidolon and the Sacred Statue. Mm -hmm. The Eidolon is a spirit in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes that animates this big statue and then, you know, stomps around. It's, you know, this large construct uh, wreaking havoc. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I just took these two stat blocks and described the Sacred Statue as a windmill. And, you know, I... Rather than it being large, I had it gargantuan. And uh, then for the sort of spirit form of the hags, I used the Eidolon stat block. But I also did a other slight tweak because I wanted this big ghostly windmill to also be on fire. Because Mm. what a cool image of the windmill going around and there being ghostly flames on it and everything. So I thought, well, the ghostly windmill surely is going to shoot fire. So, all I had to do is, looking in the sacred statue stat block, one of its attacks is a ranged attack where it hurls a big rock. So, instead, I just had the windmill throw a ball of fire, use this exact rock attack, and changed the bludgeoning damage into fire damage. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. That's it. And I have... a couple of members of uh, our company, uh, including Chris Perkins in my home game, none of them had any idea that the big spectral flaming windmill was just a monster we had published, and I just reskinned it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's that's what's crazy that people even have the familiarity familiarity that they have with the game that Chris and, and other folks do to be able to. They're, 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 everyone wants to suspend their disbelief when they're playing Dungeons the Dragons, so there no one's going to be like, "Oh, is, are they using that monster?" like, it doesn't matter as long as you're in. And I'm sure you did describe it evocatively. Yes, and that it. And
1: this is sort of a it's a it's a tip not only for DMing but for really any uh, performance, and that is commit. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're going to do it, commit to it.
0: Yeah, right. Don't, if you had, if you had said like, um, oh, and I guess it's uh, blood, no, not bludgeoning. I guess it's fire damage, <laughs> right? Then it would start right. to. But if you did that from the beginning and you just had the the gusto in, in how you were talking about it, then there's no reason to disbelieve. And that's a lot of what magic and misdirecting and and uh, all, all types of performing do. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one one note of caution:
1: reskinning is super fun, and It can be really tempting as a DM to just start doing it all the time. I don't recommend that, and here's why. In any story where you go to another world, and especially a shared setting like the worlds of Dungeons & Dragons, there is a power, a, a really wonderful resonance when you meet things you're familiar with. And so what I like to do is mix in the unfamiliar with the familiar. I don't like take every single thing you're going to meet, and it's, it's not working the way you expect it to. You might like you met an orc, and it's a it's a vanilla orc. You met a hobgoblin, it's a vanilla hobgoblin. You know, then maybe the third, the fourth, or the fifth mm. monster suddenly is the oh
0: yeah, it's unusual. Uh, it's that rule of threes that uh, uh, Chris Perkins and, I, Perkins and I talked about uh, on a Louis Shano recently. Like yeah, just yes, you gotta keep it, um, but don't don't just do it that way all the time. Exactly.
1: But even when you do the standard thing, remember that you can do memorable customization not by changing anything in the stat block at all, but by giving the creature an interesting personality, Mm -hmm. having it do interesting, scary, or funny things. Uh, I have seen players sort of sit up and pay attention in ways I haven't seen them do before, When they simply see a familiar monster acting in a way that they're not used to. Uh, I also love role-playing the monsters, making choices that feel natural for them. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking, you know, sort of as the DM who has all the information at my fingertips, I often like to get into the psychology of the monster I'm playing. And if it's a monster, for instance, with a really low intelligence – I might have the monster make really bad choices uh, tactically in combat. Yeah. Uh, I don't play all my monsters as tactical geniuses. And the one reason I do that, going back to this idea of narrative variety, of narrative texture, because then it makes it when a tactical genius does show up, it makes them all the more terrifying. Right, Because suddenly when that hobgoblin warlord or that archmage or that cunning uh, cult leader or that genius dragon shows up who is outwitting, you know, all of your moves like a master chess player. It's far scarier if the players sort of get lulled into a little bit of a sense of, uh, comfort by the by, some of the creatures that are making really bad choices, like they just fought three ogres who you know dropped rocks on their own heads, and yeah. you know, and and you know, allowed themselves to get surrounded, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But here comes the the vampire lord, and watch out!
0: Yeah, because they they don't make any of those mistakes. Exactly. What are your thoughts on? Because I've heard a lot of people, uh, you know, or I've seen. Discussions like this on Twitter and other places uh, about rolling stats. Uh, so, you know, we, of course, in our in our stat blocks have the average hit point thing, and as I'm a lazy person just as you are, so mm-hmm. I'll just sometimes use those. Uh, but I saw someone arguing for rolling hit points, not all the time, but, you know, when possible because of those variations. You can all of a sudden have an ogre you're fighting is super, you know, high on that scale. So then you immediately want to start describing it as bigger and larger and probably more terrifying. Or if for some reason it's a thin and, you know, scrappy ogre and how those even just hit point totals can inform small variants and choices and how they're portrayed.
1: So you, as you so often do read my mind about sort of one of the next great places to dive into slight tweaks in a monster. Mm-hmm. And that is in hit points. Yeah. Uh, we provide a range of hit points in every monster on purpose. Uh, I've pointed out before that yes, it's easy to use the average that because that number in the hit point in the hit point line in the stat block for anyone who doesn't know that's the the average number of hit points for a creature of that type. Right. But right next to it in parentheses is a full range of hit points that uh, is possible for that monster. So I think it's a great idea if a DM wants some additional texture to actually roll up the hit points uh, for a particular monster. Now what I do as a DM is rather than doing that of rolling in advance or rolling, you know, when the monster is encountered, I actually treat that hit point range as essentially a lever for me to adjust on the fly during combat. Oh, okay. Because what I will often do is I will I'll just get a sense of how is this combat going? Are people really digging it? Is it maybe did they think it was going to be scary and maybe it's being a little easier than I thought? Well, I'll look down at the monster and, I'll, and like and here I'm looking at this Eidolon and it says uh, 63 hit points, but its hit point range allows for far more hit points than that. I might decide as they're getting close to wiping out all 63 of those hit points, I might decide, well, this one actually has 90 hit points, 100 hit points, uh, whatever feels dramatically appropriate. Mm. Uh, and... That, that parentheses next to the hit points, every DM, when you look at that, remember, that is there basically blinking to you, giving you permission to change the number of hit points. You can also go in the other direction. Sometimes a monster overstays its welcome. You might look down and, and, and see it says 95 hit points. I'm looking at the sacred statue. But uh, the creature actually could have as few as 50 hit points. And if, if the fight is kind of like, eh, <laughs> that does happen. I mean, as awesome as D&D is, as fun as it, as it is, almost everyone at least once has been in that D&D fight where it's like, okay, we got it. right? Uh, and the DM might look down and say, yeah, they've done
0: 50 hit points. It's dead. It's gone. Uh, it's gone. There it goes. It topples over.
1: Yeah, because that's, we, again, we present this range. Uh, the, the average is there for your convenience. The average is also there if you're being very uh, uh, careful about encounter balance, which we've talked about in a different episode of Sage Advice, Uh, but I wouldn't worry too much as a DM about – about some sort of abstract mathematical balance. What Mm. is far more important is how is the fight feeling at the table? Now, balance is a more important concern if you're doing design for other people. You know, you're writing an adventure for the DM's guild and you want to make sure you get the encounter balance just right. But when you're DMing it for – when you're writing for yourself, you're preparing a monster for yourself or or you're customizing it on the fly while you're DMing, the only people you have to please are your own players. Right. And so please, you know, I always say to DMs, don't be haunted by this abstract sense of I've got to be correct. Well, you know, there's – I, Jeremy Crawford, am not lurking there as a spirit, you know, saying you did not follow a rule. <laughs> it's, it. Uh, if my spirit was there, all it would be doing would be saying have fun. <laughs> follow you, your th- bliss, man. Follow your bliss, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and – and just make sure your players are having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and, so, but that remember having a good time doesn't always mean easy. So yeah, if something's overstayed, it's welcome. It has right. fewer hit points.
0: But and that's something you kind of learn through experience, right? That's, yes, that's much harder mm-hmm. for for newer DMs to, to kind of gauge when is this when is this actually not being fun, or when is my my players might be give humming about stuff, but they're actually enjoying the fight. Right. And also remember, sometimes players want things to be hard. Right.
1: Listen to your players because sometimes, especially if they know they're going to have a showdown with uh, a villain uh, or, you know, a big beast of some kind, listen to how they talk about it. If they're really psyching themselves up and they're kind of afraid, make sure it's not too easy for them unless it works Narratively, for it to be a big fake-out. I mean, because mm. that can be a fun reveal, you know, where it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's the terrifying Thunderbeast, and you see the big shadow of it cast, and then as it comes around the corner, you see it's a little, like, miniature creature. <laughs> that, be- Because of perspective, this- the shadow was large, and that can be a really funny
0: moment. Even a small man can cast a big shadow. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. Uh, but most of the time when they're getting psyched up and they think it's going to be scary make sure it is. And, and, and that, that hit point range there, that's a place where you can adjust on the fly. And again, no need for you to design a whole new stat block, no need for you to recalculate the challenge rating. Just, just change the HP within that range. Now you have another range to fool around with in, uh, in a monster stat block, and that's the damage it deals. Mm. Uh, Monster damage, just like monster hit points, there's an average amount of damage printed, and then in parentheses next to it is the full range of that damage. I use this just like how I use the hit points. Yeah. Uh, I, if I feel like, oof, this monster is is wrecking them way more than I want, like I don't want them to get killed by this particular creature. If they're going to die, it should be you know at the hands of the boss later. Right. I might, rather than using the average damage, uh, use an amount of damage that's on the lower end of that damage range. On the flip side, if the players maybe are getting a little cocky, they're shrugging off all the hits, well, then I go to the t- upper end of that range, and suddenly those hits are coming hard and terrifying. Right. Then other times, if I'm just kind of like, eh, it, it could go either way. I'm I'm fine, and I, but I'm, I'm not in the mood to use the average. Then I'll, I'll actually roll the damage. Uh, and I like to mix it up. Uh, there's no rule DM saying that if you start a combat using the average damage, you have to end the combat using the average damage. Mm. Uh, you might use it one round. You might roll the next. You might do max damage the next. You might do minimum damage the next. It's your call as a dungeon master uh, to... Create a field that's going to be enjoyable for the group. And but that should always be your guiding guiding star. Our game's a co-op game. No one wants the DM who's just out to annihilate everyone, unless, of course, they're begging for a story about them being annihilated. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you want you want there to be struggle, but you don't want it to to be a source of despair at right.
2: the
0: table. Right. Well, you are, you're getting dangerously, dangerously close to a subject of uh, fudging dice. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, should I press you on what your official opinion is on, on fudging <laughs> dice? Uh,
1: sure. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's not about monster customization, but it is certainly related.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah as, as pertains to hit points and, and, right. and damage, for sure. So I, as
1: often as possible, uh, like to stick with uh, whatever the dice tell me. Partly because as a DM, I love to be surprised. Mm. I I love that sense. Whenever I sit down at any table that I mean I'm DMing, I don't actually know what's going to happen because I don't know what the dice are going to say. Uh, you know, the dice can turn something I thought was going to be a cakewalk into you know a a, a life or death uh, struggle. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I like mo- most of the time to stick to the dice, but occasionally. The dice will produce a result where I know given the current mood at the table, if I went with that result, it would just go over like a lead balloon. Mm. Uh, And uh, that can – and when I do fudge, nine times out of ten, it is in the player's favor uh, because the last thing I want is is a moment of freak randomness – to skew the entire campaign in a way that's not going to be satisfying for the group. Mm. But don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean I I, uh, shield uh, players from ever losing their characters. I mean, I I have character death in my games, but I like to make sure that when it happens, it's going to be memorable. Right. And not, oh... She slipped climbing the ladder and fell and died. <laughs> I mean, like, really? here, here lies uh, <laughs>
0: Olandria. Yes. yes, that character that you spent you know three days with me working on a backstory with, and now fell on the first adventure. Right. Right. I, I can I can see that, and I think that's that's a lot about gauging the room too, mm-hmm. like figuring out where you know if it's a new player or someone who's very invested in the character that they made together, you know, you might want to fudge it. And not a lot, but just enough to know hey, there's danger here. You almost lost your character. And then, you know, here's how you can learn about, uh, you know, h- how to not have that happen to your character in the future.
1: Yeah. Now, sometimes I love making it impossible for myself to fudge roles and will have players roll dice for me. Mm. Uh, this is something people can watch me do in Acquisitions Incorporated. Yeah. I will Sometimes when I, w- I want the dice to determine what's going to happen, I'll have the players do it. Partly because, as any DM will be able to attest, it's too tempting when you tell yourself, I'll just roll to see what's going to happen. But then you'll look at the die and think, eh, I don't really like that result. Yeah. There, so there's something powerful about giving it to the players. Then you're all basically agreeing we are handing over the decision to fate.
0: Right. Uh, and, uh, and I like doing that. Even, you, know, you can definitely have the players role, but even just going from outside of the screen and yes. just rolling it yourself but in their, in their full view uh, can have a lot of power.
1: Now, uh, when I'm feeling uh, particularly impish as a DM... I like having the players do it, especially if it's something bad.
0: Yeah, because then it's like, well, you did it. You rolled it. <laughs> exactly. I've got to do it now. <laughs> right. And because
1: then then also they don't feel like the DM did that to me. Yeah. It's like, well, you rolled the die. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's your lucky die that, that somehow turned the tide against you. Right. Yeah, right, I right. agree. I think that, that is a, that is extremely impish. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, a lot of what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me as far as monster, monster customization. Um, you know, I, I do this, you know, without, without having had this conversation, I, I feel like I've, I've, uh, done this, uh, for, you know, I, in my home game, I recently had a, oh, I want to have a Medusa be a big bad, but they were all like level one or level two at the time. And I was like, ah, this is going to be a little bit harder than as written. So I think I just halved the, the hit points and made some of the, um, uh, snakes on, uh, the, the cursed woman's head not be ef- effective. Oh, perfect. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, the, the, um paralyzation and, and, and uh, uh, what's it called, the turning into stone? Uh,
1: being, uh, being petrified. Petrified. I was yeah. like,
0: not paralyzation, the other P-word. Uh, just it wasn't as effective. Uh, so, you know, they had the danger of it happening, but it never actually, you know, uh, occurred to them, and mm. they got to have a nice story moment mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and defeat the Gorgon. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, and it was a wonderful tool. It was a very memorable fight, but they weren't necessarily uh, fighting against something that would be, you know, more appropriate for higher levels.
1: And you just described something uh, I love with monster customization, and that is when you take something familiar, like a Medusa, or I've I've seen DMs do it with mind flayers, mm. and you don't reskin them like you actually put them into the game, and like this Medusa is actually a Medusa, or this mind flayer is actually a mind flayer, but you want a lower level party to face them. I love it when the reduced power is justified by in-world description. Yeah. The thing is injured. Uh, You can see the marks of some, you know, fell magic upon it. Uh, Then that shows players the D&D world is alive. Not every monster of a particular type is identical. Yeah. Uh, You know, you... There are actually weak versions of these things and there are also more powerful versions of these things. Because really the stat blocks are, are sort of like a, a platonic ideal of the particular monster. Yeah. But that doesn't mean every individual of that species uh, is the same. That's uh, really each of these is a starting point for the dungeon master. Now when it comes to more concrete customization. So we've talked about just describe it differently. Mm-hmm. Then we've talked about sort of light on the fly changes. Now let's talk a little bit about actually digging in and changing some of the game mechanics. Mm. But again, this is for you DMs out there who are going to join us in being lazy. Uh,
0: and <laughs> This is the non-lazy version.
1: Well, so this is still I'm going to encourage uh, uh, as little work as possible. So if you want to actually... Ch- uh, make a new monster or heavily customize a monster, I'd say your starting point should still be monsters that already exist because we have designed now so many stat blocks between the Monster Manual, Volo's Guide, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, all the stat blocks that appear in our adventures. Plunder those DMs. Go through those stat blocks and see, is there something close to what you want? Yeah. But let's say it's not quite close enough. You find a stat blocker. It's like, well, it's halfway there. And so just simple reskinning isn't going to get me to the target. Maybe you need to swap out a few of the attacks or you want to change a trade or two of the monster. What I recommend is basically merge monsters. Look for several monsters that have the characteristics you want Especially if they 're around the same challenge rating, and just like if you're like, "Oh, I like this ability in this monster that's c r three and I like this ability in this other monster that's c r three let 's see about putting them together mm. uh, especially if you 're bringing in uh, different attacks that that require your whole action often you're not you're not going to break anything be- right. because the monster still has to spend its whole action doing this thing. You have to be more careful when you start bringing in traits that might suddenly modify everything the monster is doing, or you suddenly make a monster legendary that wasn't legendary before. There, you're going to need to proceed with more caution. But if you're simply saying, I wanted a, a different attack option, and I'm pulling it from a monster with a with the same or a very close CR, that's usually good enough. Yeah. Uh, y- also, if the monster is a spellcaster, uh, please remember, DMs, if you haven't read the introduction of the monster manual, we encourage you, swap out spells. Uh, the, especially in the monsters that have the spellcasting trait, those are really just that list of spells. Those are suggestions.
0: Yeah, they could be anything. Uh, yeah. And and, and so, the power levels of spells is, you know, it, as long as it's in the same level, you, you can swap out whatever you want.
1: Exactly. Uh, spells also, because... Uh, they already their power level is worked out. Are a great place also to loot. Let's say uh, I want I want a CR one creature to be able to breathe fire, uh, but I'm uh, I'm not sure how much damage I want it to deal. You could just have it uh, use burning hands, uh, but just treat it as a breath weapon instead of uh, a spell, and okay. and and just. Basically, take the work we've already done for you of uh, figuring out what this first level spell should do damage-wise,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and and just do that.
0: Would you have it recharge on a five and a six?
1: uh it it would depend on its it would depend on its uh, CR. And here we get a little more technical. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's essentially a, a if it's a CR one or higher creature, and I don't expect any creature to last longer than about three rounds. Uh, I would probably let it, if I was just ad hocing it, I would just let it do Burning Hands each round, just sort of treat it like a spellcaster.
0: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but wouldn't yeah. that, that mean they would have three spell slots? Yeah, at that level.
1: But, but uh, many of our lower level creatures would. Oh, okay. uh, now, yeah. to be fair, if I was getting super technical, that's that's a bit too generous for CR one. Yeah. But again, we're not, not we're not talking about design for an official adventure. We're talking about z- design. What feels fun? Feels fun for you as a DM. Because when you're designing for yourself, you can course correct on the fly. Yeah. If you're like, ooh, this is a little too powerful. Well,
0: then just it it doesn't do it a third time. And it breathed fire on itself and now it's dead.
1: Right. (laughs) Now, now one reason I chose uh, Burning Hands, and and there are a number of first level spells that are good for looting when you want something for a monster to do. uh, Because most of them are quite limited in their effect. Burning Hands, for instance, it's a great spell. But its range is actually really short. Yeah. This is not like a dragon's breath weapon that is, you know, this Huge. massive cone that can easily incinerate an entire party of adventurers. It's a little fifteen foot cone. And if you're if you're keeping your distance from the creature, it's often pretty easy to
0: avoid it. Yeah. Uh, if you have a tactically minded kind of party, <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. No, I've seen groups where it's like, "Wow, do you guys really want to bunch up like that?" Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. Here it yeah. comes. I had a group recently we played a fought against the, a yellow ochre, and it was uh, uh uh you know three three party members, and they almost all died. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to a yellow ochre, the ochre jelly. <laughs> Sorry, ochre jelly. Uh, yes, that was fun. And
1: I'm and so I'm glad. By the way, you mentioned the ochre jelly. Uh, this this is actually segueing back toward uh, just sort of reskinning skinning something. Mm. Uh, but I once – you know, remember I gave you that example of, oh, you have to dance with the tentacled thing with a bunch of eyes.
0: <laughs> that um, was an ogre jelly. It,
1: well, it wasn't a dancey. It was actually fighting. Uh, but I wanted a big sort of Lovecraftian tentacled thing with eyes with sort of corrosive qualities. And so I just – You know, opened up my monster manual. I'm like, I I don't need to create a new stat block for this. You know, just went went to the oozes. Oh, and it actually wasn't the ochre jelly; it was the black pudding. Ah, Uh, and uh, and you know, then I because it has the split ability, and so you know, I could have tentacles falling off and forming up new bunches of tentacles. Uh, Yeah, DMs, remember you're not bound by the the visual descriptions that are here when you want to create something new. Yeah. Uh, now, if you want to get even more technical, going back to digging into the nitty gritty of of customizing a monster's abilities, if you really your your bliss is you're going to really dig in, then we get into a realm that goes well beyond what we could cover in this podcast, and and that is you're going to want to go to the customizing a monster section in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, because we've joked before, the Dungeon Master's Guide is the
0: is is the our, amalgam of everything that couldn't fit in the other books. Yes,
1: <laughs> and and is always filled with like these treasures that a lot of people don't know are, are are there. Yeah, and and many people don't know we have an entire section in the Dungeon Master's Guide on creating your own monster uh, or modifying a monster. And here we go into step by step figuring out pardon me, armor class, hit points, the amount of damage the creature deals, does it have resistances, Uh, that is all here. We also give you a framework for estimating the monster's challenge rating, Mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, We also uh, give a big table of different uh, monster features that are great to reuse, Uh, things like legendary resistance, keen senses, The imp's invisibility ability. It's kind of a shopping list of, hey, DM, uh, you're looking for different things a monster might do hey, go to page 280 in your Dungeon Master's Guide, and there is a big table of different monster features that we designed to be lootable. We loot these in our in our own monster design. It mm. is actually one of our internal design directives that whenever possible, when designing a new monster, if we've already created a trait in another monster that does exactly what the new monster should do, always use the old
0: trait yeah. uh, if it's appropriate. Why make up something new if it's already there and... Playtested and and tried and true.
1: Exactly. And that's also, uh, we have that principle for the sake of our DMs, because if you're a DM and you read it and you're like, oh, I've run this this feature before, then you can focus on the thing that's new in the monster and not have to read every single word carefully and then suddenly realize, wait, this is exactly the same as this other thing that I'm already familiar with, but... You know, it 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 just has slightly different wording. Interesting, yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, we also give you advice on creating uh, monsters with classes, uh, creating NPCs uh, of different monstrous species. All of that is is here uh, in in the Dungeon Master's Guide. This isn't going to get you to exactly the CR calculations or the exact numbers that people see in our books, because in our books we use. A big spreadsheet uh, that we use to design the entire game that calculates uh, the numbers very precisely, uh, the material in the dungeon master 's guide is an approximation of what 's in that spreadsheet and and, and it gives you close enough uh, to to you know where you want to go
0: especially with uh, w- for your own game for your home game exactly yeah
1: yeah, yeah, because this advice is here for you as a dungeon master. To, if you want to say make a monster from scratch, uh, and it's going to you know be a stat block you're going to reuse mm-hmm. uh, in a campaign, uh, we give you a lot of technical advice here. I don't recommend using this uh, unless there's just not a monster right in- anywhere in the game that's like what you want. Only
0: only go into doing that when you've exhausted the other topics we've already discussed. Exactly, reskinning or yeah, or, or picking and choosing certain things. Then you, if you were like, well, none of those really fit. I want to create my own monster, or if it's your bliss, to just create your own monster. You know, and spend the time doing that. You know, that's that's probably the best place to start.
1: Yeah, and uh, another uh, uh, area of easy customization to keep in mind is, mm. especially when you're running humanoids, remember you can swap out their weapons, you can change what they're wearing, and that can have a meaningful impact. I do that often. I will take. I might take a goblin stat block, but it's like, but this group of goblins has different weapons than, you know, what's in the stat block. Ah,
0: okay. Um, Yeah, that's an easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. If I'm pressed for time and I don't want to look up the other weapons, because I actually, I love uh, violating my own notes when I'm running my game. Like, I'll decide a bunch of things beforehand, and then in the moment, I'll be like, nah, I'm going to do something else. That's for fun. Yeah, just for fun. Yeah. So I might on the spot decide, No, they don't have javelins. They have scimitars. But you know what? If I don't have time, I don't want to, like, I don't want my Look players...
0: scimitars. To,
1: I'm, you know, looking it up or, you know, I can't remember. I might actually use the exact same number that's in the stat block.
0: And just d- describe them as scimitars. Exactly. That seems to be the theme of what yes. this is, is don't redo work that's already done for you. Yep. yep. You know? But,
1: and now someone listening would be like, but Jeremy, you know, what the new weapon might have a property the old weapon, you know, lacks or... You know the the damage range might be different, but remember it's a range, and as long as the amount of damage that the monster is dealing is you know the it's still a number that's possible in either weapon's range, we're good. Yeah, the the players don't know. That's Uh, true. There there are no rules, police. You know, lurking over your shoulder to see what did you I'm do still, there. I'm DM? still waiting
0: for that spirit of Jeremy Crawford, <laughs> and, uh, 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 with that, that no. the gift from Acquisitions Incorporated, with you <laughs> wagging the finger. <laughs> that's that's what I picture that spirit looks like. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, because really, really, if if again, my spirit was there. And and if a DM, it's
0: much more Cheech and Chong like than
1: the. Than the, where you get the <laughs> no, my my spirit would be like again. Have fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing?
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much yeah. for for coming on and talking all about uh, monster customization. Uh, I always love uh, these conversations. We get we get into the nitty gritty, and, and I and I really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, as do I. Thanks for having me.
0: How can people have more? Uh, if they have more questions uh, about about rules or about this topic or any other,
1: uh, people can reach me on Twitter. I'm Jeremy E. Crawford there. Uh, recently I've been doing so much writing that I've been a, a little absent on Twitter, but I do still poke my head in and if I if I have some spare minutes, I uh, can uh, quickly answer some questions.
0: Nice. Uh, and if you haven't checked it out, uh, do so. Uh, Jeremy Crawford's uh, uh, Dungeon Mastering for Actors Incorporated, the PAX East game. Uh, people have been, been telling me wonderful, wonderful things. and It's on my queue of things to watch. I have not yet been able to do it, uh, but going through the world of Ravnica, it seems like it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been bonkers. Uh, and uh, and we will be at D&D Live yes. uh in May, May 17th, yeah. 18th, 19th, you'll be dungeon mastering there. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I am too. Awesome. All right, well thank you and we'll we'll have you on again soon. Great.
1: Awesome. Thanks everybody. Bye everyone. Bye.
0: I love talking to Jeremy Crawford. He makes my heart sing as we discuss uh, D&D rules, mechanics, and everything about that. Uh, you know, he's a fantastic creator, a wonderful uh, storyteller in his own right, and I can't wait for uh, you to tell him all the fun stories uh, or, or you to, to experience some of those uh, stories in what we're going to announce at the D&D Live 2019, The Descent, uh, in, in just a few weeks. So uh, he's going to be a dungeon master there, and uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. So, Uh, I can't wait. Um, Also, there will be some of my most favorite groups and people uh, that I I get to see at various events, but I'm very excited about them all being in one place. Uh, Everybody from Rivals of Waterdeep, especially uh, Tanya DePass, who is uh, in the chat and watching this right now, so I feel like I have to call her out. But also because she's amazing and is doing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the good work. I was going to say the... the uh, the work of Pelor, uh, bringing justice to all. Uh, so uh, I can't wait for it. Um, and uh, we're also going to have High Rollers uh, there. So Mark Humes and his crew coming from the UK. Uh, Dragon Friends are making a return uh, from Australia. They are in the future, but they will be in our time zone uh, very soon uh, in uh, May. May 17th, 18th, and 19th. They're um, they, they are missing one of their number, I just found out, uh, because when they're, one of them is running for the Australian Senate, uh, which I think is pretty, pretty amazing. So that's great. Um, and uh, we, we, we look forward to, uh, you know, campaigning for him <laughs> from afar from LA. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, Gosh, there's so many other groups to list, uh, but Heroes of the the Veil will be there from D&D Beyond. Uh, There is going to be uh, uh, Sirens of the Realms there, uh, as well as a bunch of other new groups um, that I don't want to spoil just yet. We haven't announced them uh, for sure, but uh, you will be able to see all of their amazingness. Uh, uh, May 17th, 18th, and 19th uh, on twitch.tv slash dnd. Uh, And uh, one other group that is definitely going to be there is The Broken Pact. Uh, Our our, um, Magic the Gathering uh, setting of Ravnica is, uh, ha- has been en- embodied by them over the last, uh, two seasons. So I can't wait to, uh, see them, uh, and, and figure out what they're going to do with this new adventure, um, in, uh, uh at-, at the event at, and uh, DD Live. And, uh, we're going to talk all of them about the excitement, uh, right about now. So let's give them, give them a call. <laughs> uh, so, uh, welcome, Ruben Bressler, Dungeon Master of the Baroque Pact.
3: Hi, how
2: are you? I'm doing I'm excited
0: to be here. I'm excited too, and it's not just the coffee.
2: Uh we have Jordan Pridgeon. Hello. I'm also excited. There is coffee involved. It it
0: helps, so. Excellent. Uh and Ashlyn Rose. Hello.
4: Hello. I've also had coffee and it. it is kicking in right now.
0: Oh, it Great. is it is coffee. pumping. Great. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, you guys have been uh, uh, playing together uh, Dungeons and Dragons set in the world of Ravnica for the Broken Pact, uh, and uh, yeah, how's how's that been going?
3: Yeah, we're we're coming up on our season two finale this coming Monday. Uh, it's like twentieth episode. Twentieth episode. Wow. So we've been playing for what is that sixty hours? Uh, Something like which that. Which is wow. which is a lot. Of That's hours crazy. Of Dungeons and Dragons to play together. Um, And it's, uh, it's been really exciting. This is, uh, you know, for me, even as uh, a relatively seasoned dungeon master, this is some of the most I've played with one play group in a long time. Um, and so I've been having just a blast doing it.
0: Nice. And that is true. Yeah. Even, even if people have, uh, experience playing Dungeons and Dragons, you don't always have, you know, the amount of hours that you guys have put into this, uh, especially in such a short, you know, six month period here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It can be so hard to, you know, like, get a group together and do stuff. But when you got a studio that makes you do it, yeah.
0: <laughs> that is true. That's half the reason why I like doing shows It's because it's like, oh, I, I, I have to be there to play Dungeons & Dragons? Okay. Right.
3: Yeah, it makes it a lot easier, but, um, but it, it's just been a dr- literally a dream come true. I mean, I've talked with you about this before, but being able to be the, the ambassadors for the first foray into a, a Magic the Gathering world, and all three of us being Magic players um, for Dungeons and Dragons, being able to bridge those two gaps has just been absolutely phenomenal.
0: That's so cool uh ashlyn let me let me throw this to you uh you know you were uh, been a magic player and a Dungeons and dragons player but how, how did you get started what was your first uh experience and yeah uh, hopefully this uh you know we'll, we'll transition to how this is going now
4: <laughs> uh so my first experience i started my first experience with D specifically was not that long ago i'm, I'm a pretty i'm a baby D D player i'm fairly new i started maybe like three or four years ago about when fourth ed came out okay um, and so my friends wanted to play and I'd been, I always played like, you know, little games with like my brother and friends growing up. So I was playing pretend and I was all down for it. So played that. I got to be a fairy, which was our pixie, fairy pixie. It was awesome. And uh, that nice. group we had for a long time. And then after that, it was just smaller groups that didn't really stay together until I found Ruben. And it's been great.
0: <laughs> That's cool. It was, was that all in the LA area?
4: Uh, San Francisco.
0: Oh, okay. Is that where you grew up in the Bay area?
4: I grew up in Illinois. And then when I finished high school, I moved to San Francisco uh, and was there for about 10 years. And then I moved down here uh, in August last year.
0: Oh, wow. All right, cool. Um, And what was it about I mean, you said playing pretend when you were a kid. It kind of feels like that when you get into, you know, uh, playing it. It's just like a little bit more structure.
4: Yeah, exactly. Like you kind of know like what the mechanics are and you have all of that. But then you also have like this world that is being given to you to explore with other people mm-hmm. uh, and then adding their input into it. And it just makes this really fun thing that I look forward to every single week.
0: Nice. What was it about the uh, the Pixie character that that spoke to you?
4: I just like little like being able to fly. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could fly. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. That's awesome. That reminds me of uh, uh, Erica Fermina from uh, uh, Girls Gets Glory. Uh, huh. Playing La La Lemon Boots—that was the, that was a big, a big, uh, you know, uh, inspiration for her as well. Just be like, I just want to, you know, fly. fly. Yeah,
3: having a having mean, fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Tuturu can glide at least.
0: That's good stuff. Who who knew a a could fly?
4: Anything is possible in Ravnica. We
0: made a lot of Dumbo jokes
2: when it was revealed.
0: Tim Burton. uh what about you jordan when did you uh start getting into this this fantasy role-playing fun stuff
2: i I started playing dungeons and dragons specifically um in middle school and i remember the first time i this is weird but the first time i ever heard about it is we were reading a book in my english class and it was called like night of the twisters or something like that and there was just a, a moment where they were like in a basement in the book and it was like our gym coach ran us through a small session of Dungeons and Dragons and I was like what is that and the teacher was like oh dungeons and dragons is fun and we found out that one of my friends in the class has his brother had just left for college and left all his dungeons and dragons books so oh, I went over to his house and we picked up these old beat up second edition AD&D books and nobody read them but we like kind of pretended like the my friend who was our dungeon master at the time pretended like he knew all the ro- rules and we rolled dice. And that's, that's what I do too.
0: <laughs> 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 that's what every dungeon master does. We just don't tell anyone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot to process when, when you were like a middle schooler mm-hmm. teaching yourself to do the stuff. But I've, I've, I've played pretty much since then and I, I loved it. Like for a long time, I kind of had to like hide it a little bit because most of what my parents knew about Dungeons & Dragons was from secondarily hearing about the like satanic panic days of stuff right but uh they came around and it's just been one of my favorite hobbies and i've done as much of it as i can ever since
0: how did you get them to come around
2: you know it's they were never like the like deeply religious sort that you hear about this sort of thing it's just something they heard in the media okay the actual thing that i think changed their mind on it is that I I started meeting uh, women in school through Dungeons & Dragons, which I I know is not like the usual way to say stuff, but uh, (laughs) to meet people. But somehow someone heard that I played Dungeons & Dragons and a uh, couple of girls I sort of knew came and were like, we heard you play Dungeons & Dragons. And I was like, who told you that? Um, (laughs) But they really wanted to play. And I ran a session with them and my parents were like, Oh, he's meeting like cool people. And, and it's not just like people doing scary stuff. That's like, he's socializing. He's not
4: in a cult.
0: (laughs) Right.
2: Yeah. And they were like, Oh, it's, it's regular people. They seem fun. They, you know, have chips in the basement and laugh about things. And uh, they turned around on it. And now, it's something I do, like, three times a week.
0: Nice. In some yeah.
2: form or another.
0: <laughs> I love you breaking stereotypes even back in, uh, in, in, I assume it was the 90s, right? Yeah. Right.
2: yeah mm-hmm. 90s and early 2000s and stuff, yeah.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a contrast to now when I meet parents and they're like, wait. You know, so my kids can be talking to each other and you know reading and doing arithmetic and pretending and working together.
2: <laughs> it's like wow, this is like Stop. a problem solving simulator.
0: Yeah. This is cool, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so all of you are ma- magic players as well, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, as as me, uh, you know, I, I started playing. Gosh, back when when the the first cards came out, I had a uh, um, wow a uh, God, it was my, I think it was my sister's boyfriend at the time, who was also a manager at McDonald's, uh, said, you should get these cards. They're going to be worth something one day. Uh,
2: (laughs) And that was a hundred percent correct. It was a
0: hundred percent correct. Sadly, I sold those cards, uh, probably way too early. Um. But uh, but yeah, I got into it, and from there, and I always was because I was a fan of of you know all things D and D and fantasy storytelling. I always just loved that there was like this hint of this lore that was going on behind the mechanical stuff. Um, And uh, yeah, so was was that was that true for you guys as well?
2: Hundred percent,
4: definitely, and I think
3: still true to this day. I still am inspired by magic cards, art, and flavor in telling the story that we tell every week.
4: Yeah. And I think when I got started, which was with Duels of the Planeswalkers in 2009, Mm -hmm. it was kind of connected. It wasn't like the full lore story, but you were like following the story and like defeating the different planeswalkers or working with them. And like that really got me into the whole world of magic. And that's what I really loved about it and still do. I love the lore.
2: Um, yeah, so I remember the the first magic cards I ever got. Uh, before I learned how the the uh, game worked, I would just have a pile of magic cards, and I would go through and be like, "Yeah, this flavor text is great," and I would sort them by my favorite flavor text. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I need out of this game.
0: You're like power level is terrible, but man, <laughs> that flavor—that's <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, and I, I love that there's been this resurgence. I guess I wouldn't say resurgence, but there was definitely, I think, a, a concentration on the mechanics and the and the competitive nature of, of Magic for a long time. And sure. now there is this this love of that storytelling that is coming to bear. You know, I think it might have started, not started, but you know, it was, was was revitalized by the art books that came out uh, that yeah. uh, James Wyatt put together.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The art books have been, and I've been, I I've used the Ravnica art book information. Uh, a lot. I've been trying to do as much um, world building and world um, uh, combining as I can with the official lore into the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons, which isn't always the easiest. Right. Uh, but, for example, two weeks ago, the party had to run away Indiana Jones style from a large ball of fat and dung um, <laughs> that was being pushed by a large dung beetle which is canonically in the Ravnica art book. They're called Fatbergs. Um, <laughs> and they're just these big, you know, amalgamations of like Sargasso seas, except for it's all of the garbage of the planet comes together. And being able to tie in stuff like that from the official lore is super fun for me.
0: I love uh, magic, the Katamari Damacy. Uh. That's right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yeah, let's we'll talk a little bit about your characters. We already mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the our, our uh, What What is special about uh, Tutoroo? Is that how you pronounce it?
4: K-tru, yes. Tuturu.
0: <laughs> yes, I love the singing. That is the best. <laughs> <laughs> with the nose, with the, the yeah. snout, of course.
4: <laughs> mm. um, Tuturu is, uh, she's a Loxodon cleric slash Simic hybrid, which we just found out. Ooh. Um, yes, we gave her manta ray ears as a special little homebrew which was great so she is dumbo um (laughs) (laughs) and uh she's part of the selesian conclave so she's very she has a more innocent look on life because she's kind of grew up around this whole wholesome place of that supports like unity and friendship um and togetherness unless you cross them and then it's just not good Mm -mm. um and then yeah so she just kind of has this like wide-eyed, I want to help the world kind of personality. And she's slowly learning that the world isn't as great as, or as uh, true as she thought it was in a way. And she's kind of just like experiencing things she's never sp- experienced in her life and having a big character development right now.
0: That's super cool. Yeah, I love, <laughs> maybe not love, but I, I the arc of uh, um, having rose-colored glasses and then creeping cynicism is uh, is always entertaining to me.
4: Yeah. And the
2: whole show basically started with <coughs> her mentor dying.
4: Yes.
0: So the dryad. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah, I told. Uh, he introduced me to the dryad, and then he took that knife and just right off the bat, done. Yeah. <laughs> like, great. I, I,
3: there's, there's no build up. We're gonna, yeah. Scene one, act one. Um, I, I kind of murdered Tuturu's father figure to start the whole story. Not a very nice move, but. On, <laughs> But uh, you know, that's, hey, it's that's,
0: that's where the, Dungeons and Dragons—that's the best like, drama. To
4: D&D. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jump <laughs> off the cliff, see if you can fly. Yeah, you didn't have wings then.
4: Yeah, <laughs> not that they knew of.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so yeah, and Jordan, what's that? Uh, let's talk about your character.
2: So my character is uh, Astarok. He's a, a minotaur fighter, and he's part of the Boros Legion. And uh, for me, it's like you know, I normally like make characters who are very like talky and clever is like what I like to play. Mm. And I was sort of like, you know, for this, I'm going to make someone who has a kind of simple view on life. I I don't, he's not dumb. He just like, he doesn't think that like he, he's never really sat down and thought about philosophy or anything like that. And he hits things and he's part of the Boros Legion and he's found purpose in the justice that they kind of push through. And the funny thing is that, like, when I, I initially made the character, I had all these like kind of dark, broody inspirations and like noir characters and stuff. And then I've ended up making him like just kind of silly and mm. fun and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I always fall into this mode no matter what. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that is hard when you're like I'm trying to play against the type, and then you end up just going <laughs> right back into your type. Right. Yeah, but it can be really refreshing to play that type of like forthright. Like I am what I am. I'll bash your skull in if you cross me or my party.
2: Absolutely, and it's 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 a blast. You know, like sometimes it's fun to have characters who will come up with like the clever sideways plans, but other times you need a character who it's like, okay, someone threatened to the party, we should attack them. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. The instigator yeah. is a, is a very it has important been, part. It's
3: been very helpful for me as a dungeon master to be like, all right. Here is a thing that you need to go do, and then the the other three members of the party sit there and talk for five minutes, and while Asterix just like enough of this, kick in the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I love being that player because it's like, all right, we can talk about plans for I don't know. I, I've had groups where like literally the planning would be like an hour and a half, yeah, and I'm like, let's just do something. <laughs>
4: It's like in Magic the Gathering when, like, you get those complicated board states and, like, everyone's just kind of going back and forth. It's like, fine, I'm just turning them all sideways. We're going in. Yeah. yeah
0: I, I, I don't know if I have the numbers, but I just want to clear this yeah, off.
4: Math, math is for blockers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, so I, now I'm saying, uh, Ruben, we probably should have started with you to give you more of an overview for folks who may not have seen uh, uh, oh, Broken sure. Pact about what, uh, what's, what's, you know— what was, what was the, the season one and how did that all go? I mean, I, I know the, you know, the, the right. whole murder mystery story was, was something was really compelling.
3: Absolutely. So uh, a, just a very Cliff's Notes backstory on me. Um, I was very lucky in that my parents played D&D before they even started dating. So I never had to deal with my parents not knowing what Dungeons & Dragons was. Uh, I picked up Magic the Gathering when I was twelve years old, and I have not really stopped since I was a competitive player i've been making magic content for the past decade. I was one of the first magic people to make youtube content um youtube and, what's that right exactly <laughs> no joke that was something that was like do you make you make content for youtube why <laughs> Years ago, that wasn't a silly question. It wasn't. Um, and so the confluence of the two was really just serendipitous. I've been accidentally training to be a dungeon master for a Magic the Gathering world for my entire life. <laughs> um, and so when this opportunity popped up, um, which uh, which we discussed the last time I was on the show or like just before I was on the show. Yeah. Um, which is still one of the best meetings I've ever had in my entire life. Um,
0: Your which, whole life changed after that meeting.
3: <laughs> it did. Um, it, it was, it, we sort of discussed, hey, do you want to do a Ravnica show while I was up there for the last, uh, the last Dragon Talk that Yeah. I was, on. Um, I was really influenced a lot by uh, uh, streamed live play Dungeons & Dragons uh, and role-playing games in general. Um, I stumbled upon Critical Role, uh, which reintroduced me to the genre. I started becoming a big fan of shows like Vast um, and Shield of Tomorrow and a bunch of other stuff that Geek and Sundry was putting together. Those are awesome. And, uh, and then started picking up the Adventure Zone and Dice Camera Action and became big fans of uh, Satine and a bunch of the other uh, you know, TV DMs and was like, this is what I'm doing now. And so I started putting together a show. And then stream of many eyes last year happened. And I was like, well, I have to be in Los Angeles to do it. Uh, After watching stream, I was like, this is, I, there's no more question anymore. I have
2: to go do this. Um, But Ruben. What happened on Broken Pact? Oh,
0: well, I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wait, I could talk about me? I could talk about me. <laughs> right. So,
3: so then I moved to LA and Ashlyn is moving at right around the same time. Um, and I knew I wanted to work with uh, an old friend of mine named Riley, um, who uh, I had done stand up comedy with in Central Ohio 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and then uh, Jordan and Garav from Saving Throw, who I knew, also knew I wanted to work with, that rounded out the team. And so we created the Broken Pact, which is... I knew I wanted to do a sort of noir kind of story. Um, lots of intrigue, lots of uh, politics, lots of cloak and dagger kind of stuff. And essentially, the the point... Or what happens in the Broken Pact is uh, Tuturu's mentor, a dryad named Muki, is found dead, killed by mysterious means. Um, and the party reconvenes together after having worked together once before um, under another mysterious circumstance to sort of chase down the mystery. And it gets more convoluted from there. They uncover a copycat killer at the end of season one. They uncover a plot sort of uh, in season two. They don't really know who the shadowy figure behind the scenes is. Um, They run across old enemies uh, including uh, uh, Solias, a, a vampire from uh, Riley's character Velma's past that they uh, dealt with last week.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and lots of, uh, you know, mist and lots of mystery and lots of intrigue on, the, on that front.
4: Also, lots of characters from actual magic, yes. Ravnica, which has been Absolutely. awesome. Yeah,
3: I've been trying my best. I, I was recommended to me to actually write an article on how to play canon characters in mm. your D. because I've had something like two dozen actual characters from magic in the game. Um, they've run into Vraska, who's the guild leader of the Golgari. Nice. Run, last week, they ran into uh, Lavinia and Etrada, who yeah. are two high power guild members? Um, you know they've they just run into famous characters all over the place. So it is
0: really fun to get to play with that lore as well. Have I mean, they met uh, Ral yet? From is it? <laughs> no, I not, love Ral though. They've I think, not met Ral. Oh, all right. Well, I'm, I have the hair. I've been told uh, <laughs> to be able to to guest as as Ral if you if you needed. You could
2: pull off
3: Ral? Yeah, you could you could, <laughs> you could Easy. do a good Ral cosplay.
0: I. Uh, we got, uh, you know, I the D&D, the Magic team had um, those posters that were made for a lot of the guild members, uh, and uh, my girls went to an event, and they had those handed to them. So there was Ral was one, and I forget who the name of the character is from the Selesnya, uh, but it's a blonde. Laura? Uh, Oh, Amara! Yes, it was Amara. Yes, because I have that card as well. Um, And so my daughters put those up in our in their rooms, uh, and they will consistently say like, "Oh, that's you, Daddy," and then that's that's mommy. (laughs) The two of them. I'm like, that's great. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty high power level. Uh, We're a power couple now. That's true. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Now you know what you're doing for Halloween.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) dang! That's that is a good idea. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. Amara has shown up in our game uh, a couple of times as well. Um, I give her a bit of a, a Southern Belle kind of accent. which just sort of fits for me. I like putting little twists on characters that people might not necessarily immediately have thought of. Um, my Rakdos, the demon, is has a big Texan accent. <laughs> um, and and so that's always fun for me to do.
0: That's awesome. Yes, I've been seeing the clips uh, from D&D Rewind. And, uh, uh, you know, what was the one? The, the dog will hunt uh, quote.
3: Oh, it, the demon? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I had a hillbilly, yeah. local yokel devil that they ran into who just sort of talked about this. <laughs> and
2: I-, I was pretty sure we were going to get, like, deliveranced in some Absolutely.
4: Yeah. Yes,
0: exactly. Squeal like a pig. Uh, or, or a war pig. As I was, oh, list- yeah. I was listening to your most recent Magic Mike's podcast, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I need that card. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: The uh, Ilharg, the war boar. This whole season, by the way, of War for the Spark, for those of you who aren't Magic fans uh there is a what's what, a preview season of cards that are coming out in the next set and war for the spark is sort of like the avengers endgame for magic it's like all of these storylines confluence coming together mm-hmm. and so it is wild to and it's all happening on the world of ravnica yeah. and so i've been trying to be a little bit like agents of shield to the to the magic cinematic universe oh
0: all right i like that game.
3: But it's like
2: super hard. Yeah, when <laughs> when the apocalypse basically when, starts happening, it's like we might not be able to fit this into our into
3: our D and D game. Right. You know, it's been a little tough.
0: The snap, but, uh, the snap will happen, and all of you will die. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <What was that? laughs> I said it's the snap, snap will happen, and you all die. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's really fascinating, and I think that's, you know, uh, I, I would love to 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 see that article, or at least maybe having even talk through a little bit about what it's like to play as characters, uh, and maybe to throw it back to some of the cast members, too, so that, you know, what it's like to have characters interact with, um, larger-than-life, uh, uh, you know, things that you've seen in cards, things and other things, and make sure that it doesn't feel too star while also feeling like it's, like it's, uh, you know, uh, having the reverence that it should have. It's,
2: it's, it's been fun i mean i actually kind of the direction i went with it with my character is whenever we like met a high level member of the boros guild i would just be starstruck you know and like have the character like just be shocked by the fact that he got to meet these like angels who run thing or the guild pact who is like the highest law in ravnica and stuff but uh it's 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 a really neat level uh, especially since we kind of know a little bit about magic lore it gives us an expectation when the characters start that we can immediately kind of play off of and uh, just have like a, a certain level of comfort with the characters right off the bat which is a good time yeah yeah
4: it's been, uh, it's been really fun to see these characters that we've kind of been playing with for so many years now and see them in the game and you get to be star- starstruck. And then there's the other part of you that's like, oh, I know they're like kind of lore and what they're about, but my character doesn't. So I'm going to have to like block that out. Right. But then we also have Riley, who's more into Dungeons and Dragons. So she doesn't know any of that. And mm. so she's like, what's going on right now?
0: <laughs> like, I don't have any of these thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. and
4: that was a conscious decision when we
3: were putting the cast of the show together is we wanted to have someone who knew almost nothing about magic and we wanted to have someone who was very new to Dungeons & Dragons as well. Uh, mm. Right. Um, and so we we got those pieces uh, specifically with Riley and Ashlyn and then we have uh, Jordan and Garov who are much more into both. Um, but it, it's it is a ton of fun to get to play with these big name characters. Mm. I mean, when you're running you know, curse of Strahd and you get to be Strahd. It's yeah. awesome. Right. It, when you're running tomb of annihilation and they finally get to a Sarah rack or, or, uh, or Simber, you know, then, then that's just a ton of fun for you as the DM as well. Cause you get to put your own spin on it. It's, it's a lot more like being a comic book author. You know, you get to reboot yeah, that's a good Spider-Man point. or reboot Batman in your own vision and give them your own version of their personality and their own ideals. And so it's n- 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 and none of them are wrong. Um, and so that's really fun for me.
2: Uh, That one choice was wrong. Well, we don't have to talk about
3: it. We don't
0: have (laughs) to. But you're right. It is very similar to, uh, like a fan of the Forgotten Realms, like incorporating Drist or, you know, uh, uh, Elminster or any, you know, uh, Silverhand or any of those, like, you know, you got to have a certain amount of, of knowledge about what that character is like, but, you know, each table is going to have a different interpretation and a different, you know, shard of reality about what, you know, is happening at that table.
3: Right. And specifically for Ravnica, it's really important to me to have not just the world, but have these characters that the people have fallen in love with in the game. Um, I think it it is, you know, one of the characters is the city. The city is such a big facet yeah. of everything and every, uh, anything and everything that happens. Um, you know having an entire planet covered in 18th century Prague that is powered by magic um, and is ruled by these ten factions is going to be unique in, in and of itself. but in addition to that, having all of these magical characters that have this clout and have this um, uh, reputation behind them is is super fun for me to throw at players and play out on
2: screen.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Well, and, and just jumping back to some of the stuff about like the, the lore and combining magic stuff, I feel Riley is a trooper. She does such a good job. And I say that because sometimes it's just like us in the game just being like, Oh, I guess they have lifelink and vigilance now. Yeah. Plus two plus two. And she's like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're like, "Ah, magic references. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's uh, an important part of uh, all gaming kind of at this point because you're always going to be, uh, you know, including people who have varying levels of experience and, you know, there there used to be, um, you know, not even the the satanic panic stuff we were talking about earlier, but, like, that idea of, like, well, it's hard to jump in. And I think yeah. what's been great about the D&D community and the magic community is uh, that inclusivity of, like, oh, you're new? That's good because... I am excited to teach you and bring you into my hobby.
2: Well, and and fifth edition in general is such an accessible version of Dungeons and Dragons. Like you can, like, yeah, there's a lot of depth to the rules, but you can start playing with just like someone hands you a character sheet and they say, just tell us what you want to do and I'll tell you that you can roll some dice. That's basically what I used to do. When I lived in Las Vegas, we had a big play
3: group. um, uh, And every single time we played, there would be someone who'd never played before. Oh, that's great. Um, and I would basically hand to the machine and say, these numbers, you don't need to memorize them. You don't really need to know what they mean. When you say you want to do something, I'll tell you what numbers to use. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you really need.
4: Yeah, I think with me like coming, I was I was a little intimidated when I first started because I was like, wow, these people have so much more experience with role playing in general and uh, just doing this. And it, like after a few sessions, it was like, wow, I, like, I'm barely looking at my character sheet. It's just playing and working off of everyone else and having a great DM. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> props to Ruben for for, for a good DM in there. Um, but, uh, but I also think that there's a lot, I mean, and maybe, Ashley, you can tell me whether this is true or not, but there's a lot more um, uh, familiarity with the tropes of what's in Dungeons & Dragons than there was even 20 years ago.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's much easier to kind of, especially, especially with guilds of Ravnica and the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, because using the guilds, because I'm familiar with like the different types of guilds and the different types of colors they align with and those uh, uh, attributes that go with them, it was easy to kind of figure out, oh, Selesnian's kind of more of a wholesome uh, pride unity and develop my character girl next door, d- door trope um, for the show.
0: Right, right. Uh but there's also, you know, folks who uh have watched uh Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings and are like, Oh, okay, that you're you're the Aragorn, you're the Hermione, yeah. you know, and, and people exactly. can jump and then obviously, you know, adapt them and change them so they're not, you know, super tropey, but like you have the that basic understanding of fantasy storytelling.
4: Exactly. Yeah, I think when I built my character, Tutaru, I had admi- initially was like, She's basically Steven Universe, but older.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. That's cool. Oh, God, I've never watched that show I had that and adventure time are ones uh, that I'm like hi oh, I need to, to to jump in
2: I love adventure time that's that's got some like that's got some dD core in its DNA
0: yeah
3: a lot of media recently particularly in animation has been using a lot more of the adventuring party kind of trope rather than having one single main character um i think that it's you know obviously steven universe is the main character but there's so much lore behind non uh jake the dog and Finn the human in adventure time there's there are all these other main characters really on all these shows and it's sort of branched out i think directly from from the uh you know renaissance of dungeons and dragons.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to tell whether it's from, you know, writers who were playing D&D who then incorporated that or if it's been this, I mean, a cyclical type thing where like, oh, there's sure. more people who are playing it together and then, then those ideas and, and things get get incorporated more and more.
3: Yeah, it all feeds in if it all feeds back into itself. I've been very pleased uh, by seeing all of these you know, just romantic comedy writers and gen, you know general sitcom writers who are like, oh yeah, Dungeons and Dragons has been one of one of if not the most important storytelling tool in my development as a writer mm. in these areas that don't necessarily translate directly to high fantasy or like Ravnica, which is which we've been calling Mage Punk, mm. um, which uh, you know they don't directly translate, but but you know telling stories around the campfire. Used to be the big thing, and it sort of fell away for a while. Dungeons and Dragons is the table and the dice are the campfire now, yeah. and telling communal stories and the oral tradition continuing is how the how we've developed as uh, uh, as troubadours now, as people who continue to tell these epic poems and, and tell these stories with ourselves. And so that's been a really uh, a nice thing to see is that you know, D&D influencing media, but then it going in the opposite direction as
0: well. For sure. I mean, I get a kick out of when I listen to Script Notes, uh, the podcast all about script writing, and every time one of them mentions their d d campaign or how, playing with other writers, I'm always like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it all into all of the medias.
3: Yeah. As a player, I would rather a lot of, not all the time, but a lot of the time, I would rather epically fail and get a one than epically succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every time. Um, but there are certain circumstances where I would rather have to solve the issue of my own failure of tripping over the rock of falling off of the cliff of missing the monster. Yeah. Uh, and so the dice adds so much to that and, and being able to play off of each other in that sort of improv setting is, is amazing.
0: Um, what's it like, uh, cause you know, I'm, I'm playing through, uh, water dragon heist, uh, in, in, in my home group right now. And I'm playing with a whole bunch of varying experience level of, of players. Uh, and they, I love storytelling in a city, in an urban environment. Um, but it's almost as if the, the, the choices that are available to them are too, are too broad. You know, they want, they almost want, yeah. they, it's, it's odd. It's like, they almost want to be, um, railroaded uh and 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 taught what to do so as players i mean obviously you guys have a a a pretty strong through line that 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 ruben set up for for you know what's going to next but do you ever feel that as a player of like you know you know we could literally go into any area in this city and do anything
4: oh yeah absolutely uh ruben gave us like five different guilds that we could go explore and look into and we're like well where are we gonna go first we have so many toys uh so that was it's given us a lot of options
2: is and it, and it's, it's been pretty fun, like, kind of looking at the options. One of the things I, I think we, uh, we do to Ruben uh, sometimes is he'll be like, okay, we're going to do this. And we're like, we don't want to go that way. We'll do something else. <laughs> and then other times he'll be like, uh, okay, well, you can do these five things. And we're like, tell us which one to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That
4: happens. Or it'll be like, oh, I've set up all these really cool combats. And we're like, nope, we're just going to walk all the way around them. That nice. was a
3: common theme in season one. <laughs> uh, most most parties I've played with are like, yeah, let's hit things. I want to fight and I'm ready to fight. And, you know, at its core, Dungeons and Dragons is a combat system that allows for uh, role playing. Um, but because, you know, there's a whole section of the book that is just combat uh, and just spells and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this group is not a bunch of murder hobos. This group is a lot of talkers and sneakers and people who uh, want, would much rather avoid fighting. And they avoided at least half of the combats that I had planned in season one. Right. Um, there were several episodes where I was like, well, they could run into one, maybe two fights here. Nope, no fights. No fights this episode, which is great for streamed Dungeons and Dragons, by the way. Um, I would much rather watch them talk their way out of a situation or sneak past the situation when i 'm watching um, but it is it it does mean that i don 't get to play with my toys as much uh, as a dungeon master, which i 'm totally cool with
0: it is and I think that 's the, the 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 tension i 'm feeling in my game too where people you know it 's not streamed they 're not doing it for for uh you know and they uh, some of them come from the background of like just going through uh a dungeon and killing all the monsters in one room, going to the next room, rinse, repeat. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I want, can I trade groups with you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> cities are a really interesting setting for something
2: like this because w- what you realize when you're like playing in a city is that you can't just get away with murdering somebody. Like mm-hmm. any sort of place where people all live together that closely has laws and it has yeah. rules and and making a Big political or social faux pas could have real consequences, Mm -hmm. and I I think it's a lot. It's a lot different from like kind of like roving, going through the hills, pushing a stone aside, and finding an ancient lich's cavern. Yeah, style of play, but but it can be really fun, and it can lead to a lot of neat challenges in its own way. And like I, I know, like my character, because we're all part of guilds, which are like particular organizations, and and my character is part of a command structure. So we've had to like come up with. Exactly why, even though he's part of basically a military legion, like he's allowed to go off and talk with, you know, work with the rest of the group who are from guilds that they may not always be on best terms with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it leads to a lot of cool situations and challenges that are a little off the beaten path for Dungeons & Dragons, but are still a lot of fun.
0: Agreed.
3: Yeah, d- running a game in a city is significantly different than running a game in an open world. Uh, Ravnica, there is nothing but city. The entire world is covered in city. It is an ecumenopolis. Um, it, the, the, there is so much city that the oceans are covered by it. Um, and so even if you are going on month-long journeys, you are never leaving the city, really. Yeah. Uh, most of our game takes place in the 10th district, which is the... the Focus of the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, it is the Manhattan equivalent. It is, you know, where the capital is. It's where most of the guild halls are. Um, and so that is like, a, I don't know, 50 square miles, um, but also goes down beneath the city because all of these, you know, layers of city, like a tiramisu, um, you know, they have to dig deep into the coffee-soaked ladyfingers of the city to, able to find yeah, some right. of the guild halls that are beneath the
2: surface. Because, now, let's now I'm feel, hungry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Is it really a fantasy setting if it doesn't have like a system of catacombs right. going down as right. far as man has ever been willing to, dwell, to uh, delve?
3: Right. It was always interesting to me that this game was called Dungeons and Dragons because I never see well, they have not really run into a dragon yet, but that's mostly a function of. Ravnica. There's Rav-
0: still a finale. There's still a finale where right. it's happen. that's
3: that's mostly a function of Ravnica. Uh, dragons aren't super common in a city, right? Um, and Niv Mizzet, who's the ultra powerful guild leader of one of the of the of the guilds, the Is it
0: my favorite card um, in that set, really?
3: Right, of which Ralzeric is the is the uh, either the the leader or the right hand man. Um, there just aren't a ton of dragons. And then dungeons right. in my head was always like where you put prisoners, but turns out a dungeon is just a man-made underground cave system.
2: What in like the original etymology. Yeah. And the
3: original etymology of it is it just like, it's a cave that has been carved by,
2: right.
3: uh, by a humanoid. So there's plenty of dungeons all over the place in Ravnica, which
0: yeah. is great. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, Used to have these conversations with uh, friends of mine in New York, uh, who were uh, in this whole trope, and, and he um, put forth this idea that like the uh, Dungeons and Dragons can't work unless there is somewhere to explore uh, that okay. it has is away from civilization. Like, yeah. okay, there is civilization, and then here's the area you go that has. Um, a cataclysm that happened before so that there's these magic items and things that the knowledge of which may be lost uh, and, and you can just rediscover and then that's where you get your power as an adventurer is through finding these, these lost items in, in right. a way. And um, make no mistake that there still is that. Just because it's covered
3: in city doesn't mean it's inhabited city. There is abandoned city in, on the surface of right. the gruel territory. There's plenty of abandoned city under the surface in Golgari and Simic and Demir. Uh, and Orzov territory, uh, which are several of the other guilds in Ravnica. Um, and so there's plenty of exploring uh, and, and, you know, empty space.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, that's, and it's true in Waterdeep as well, with the uh, 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 Undermountain being a, a prominent feature below the city with which to adventure. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've been mentioning the guilds uh, a bunch, and, and uh, you know, when you guys were creating characters... What was it about uh, creating a, a Selesnian that, uh, that you know, you wanted to, to embody?
4: I think because I was newer to everything, I wanted to go with something that felt more comfortable for me and playing like more, not goody two-shoe, but like, you know, the life is wonderful and great and everything is great. felt like an easier thing to go into and then branch out from there. And if my character changes, that's great. But feeling as comfortable as possible and trying to get into character for the show felt it felt the most right.
0: Mm. And right, and Selesnia is more about I mean, I guess you call them the uh the uh druid uh f- faction if if you had to put yeah. one on there.
3: Yeah. More earthy. Yeah. yeah. They're,
0: they're like the bright druid faction and then
2: Golgari is like the dark underground druid faction. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um and uh it's it's cool to see it come to life uh, uh for sure. Um uh do, do you uh, I mean, We'll talk about the future of of Broken Pact because you guys are going to be at D and D Live 2019, The Descent. Ooh,
3: that's right. Uh, we are going to be doing. We are going to be on one of the stages. Uh, are we? Or can we announce when we're going?
0: Uh, I mean, that schedule might change, but right now, I think I have you guys on Sunday at 9 a.m. Something
3: like that. Yes.
0: I yeah. I might push you to 8:30 a.m. if you guys can get up that early. Boy, that's yeah. early in the morning. But uh, <laughs> coffee. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, coffee, exactly. We'll
4: coffee for us. <laughs> I will
0: have it's we just will straight coffee the- right into the veins.
4: Thank yeah, you.
3: <laughs> thank
0: you very much.
4: All I
3: need in
0: life. <laughs>
3: um, and coffee canonically exists in Ravnica. Oh, so well, that's, that's good. Um, yeah, we will be uh, performing as our characters and uh, with me as your guild master uh, on one of the stages. And I'm going to be there uh, geeking out all weekend watching. Uh, other streams of all these other wonderful folks getting signatures in in uh, probably in my Dungeon Master's Guide, maybe in my Player's Handbook uh, from all the people who do who are part of this wonderful community. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm just very excited for to see all that uh, happen.
0: Me too. I'm excited. You guys are going to be there.
2: Yeah, um, I, I got to put together a, a lower half for my costume. <laughs>
4: That's like,
2: right. <laughs> we're like sitting at a, a table, and I, I've got like these. If if you haven't seen it. I have, like, Minotaur horns and a Boros shirt, and and Ashlyn has a full, very well-done costume because she's actually a cosplayer and very good at it. But I just wear jeans under it because no one ever sees my pants. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to be walking around in a costume, I guess I got to, like, actually get it finished.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you'll be sitting at a table uh, for the stream anyway, so, you know. Uh, you know, but if
3: we're going to be walking around in you know with other with other costumed folks and and playing in adventures leagues and stuff like
0: that, that's true. That's true because there was going to be you know play. Uh, that's one of the yeah. fun things that I I thought was missing from the stream of many eyes was the idea of actually playing Dungeons and Dragons while uh, fans were there. So the idea of uh, uh, you know being able to to introduce a storyline and let people play in it uh, the next day is is super exciting. Yeah. So hopefully you guys I'm will be able to do that, too. that
4: too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Have you ever done anything with a with a D anD D epic before?
3: Um, I so I've done adventurers league stuff, but I've never done anything like this, which is taking part. I mean, anything having to do with a launch of an event, of course. Um, and uh, as as you know, as is the dungeon master's curse, I actually don't get to play that much.
0: Right. So
2: um, I'm excited for a number of reasons on that front.
0: Nice. Uh, what about you, Jordan? Have you ever done a, an epic before?
2: No, I haven't. I'm excited to like get involved in all this stuff. I've, I've watched a lot of this going on, but for the most part, like um, before getting involved in uh, this show specifically, a a lot of my D and D stuff was just me and some of my home game friends. And, you know, we would watch what you guys were putting out and doing, but uh, I I haven't gone out and uh, even like done an adventures league or anything like that. It all sounds really fun. I'm excited.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's something too. I, I just love the idea of having 25 tables of people playing together yeah. in a meta a meta game. It's like it's right. you know it's that. It
3: sounds like a blast. Yeah. Really, yeah. Right? I did I did one thing medium similar to this in an adventurers league one time when not enough dungeon masters showed up to our adventurers. Yeah. And <laughs> the one guy and I didn't want to DM because I'm that guy, but basically one guy. Ran four tables of different wow. levels Whoa. of of planning of this siege of a city to protect this city uh, at the end of the last Adventurers League, one of the last Adventurers League settings, mm-hmm. um, and w- it worked out great. It was actually really cool because people would be going to different tables and sort of sharing plans. and I don't know if that's how it's going to work here, but uh, I'm really excited to see how it can
0: <laughs> play out here. Oh, something. Down. Water. Sorry. <laughs> oh, like, did did a cat jump on the microphone? <laughs> Nice, uh, yeah. So um, that's gonna be really exciting. I'm I'm really uh, happy to have you guys. In, you know, meet all the other groups and stuff that have been. You know, uh, I'm sure you've you've met a few of them in the in the LA area, but bringing in folks from uh, Australia and the UK, uh, you know, as well as Chicago and other areas. Like I'm, I'm just pretty excited. exciting. Yeah, very so
4: exciting.
3: I'm so excited. I mean, there's a number of folks whom I, I think I consume more televised Dungeons and Dragons content than any human.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) a bold statement.
3: I've watched all of Campaign 1 of Critical Role twice all the way
0: through. Wait, twice?
3: Twice. I used to make a podcast based on Critical Role uh, before I did this show. I've watched all of Dice Camera Action. I've listened, or I've watched all of uh, a a number of the shows. And so I'm really excited to meet uh, uh, all of the High Rollers people and um rivals of water deep you know who are you know far away from here and to to meet uh you know, a bunch of those folks is very exciting not to mention all the people from seattle mm. who you know, other than los angeles seattle is kind of like a home base of operation for a lot of these things so uh it's it's just i'm going to be geeking out about people who are probably like wait you know who i am kind <laughs> of thing um which i get a lot of too um but yeah. it's it's I'm just really excited to, to, to run into and meet all of these, you know, very creative people who tell stories around the campfire like we do.
0: For sure. Yeah. There was something that, uh, uh, Matt Mercer said at, I think it's dream of none annihilation where he was like, I've never seen so many people in one room that all experience imposter syndrome. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh man. That
2: hits hard. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, but that's—I think—in that some ways, that's what makes the uh, the positivity and the happiness uh, at, at these events is because it feels very much like kindred spirits all coming together for this love of, of, of storytelling through Dungeons and Dragons.
3: Absolutely, yeah, and hopefully. I'm just really excited to go to these Adventures League table and sit with, you know, maybe some people who just want to be there, but also just randomly sit across the table
2: from, you know, other performers who I watch sometimes,
0: which is hilarious. Yeah, that's going to be fun.
2: Well, I I feel like there's also just, like, this kind of general bond, just because, like, streaming RPGs is still kind of a, a, a burgeoning new thing. And, like when a lot of people think of streamers and Twitch, they think of video games. Right. And this is like a whole new thing that has just gotten more popular and it's so much fun. Yeah. And the people who do it, it's it's like to the point where it's not this enormous, over-the-top, huge industry. So you really just have people who are passionate about it who are doing it right now. And I think that's great. It's just awesome. Anyone yeah. who's getting involved in it, you're going to have automatic common ground.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so I know Ruben was a, a, a stand-up comedian as well as doing professional magic stuff before this, but uh, uh, you know, wh- wh- what about the rest of you? Wh- have you what's, your, what's your other passions that are, that are going on?
4: Um, I'm currently, so I moved, I was working in gaming before I moved to LA and uh, I decided to take a step away from that. I had been doing gaming for about, I want to say four years and uh, cosplaying for about four or five years now. And uh, so still cosplaying. And that's a lot of fun. But I'm also doing voice acting now. So that's been my passion and a lot of fun. And it's been great since I moved here.
0: That's great. I love cosplay so much. It's something that I, I have no talent or inclination to do on my own. But I love being a fan of it. It's like it's like being a fan of, of, of uh, uh, fashion or something to a certain yeah. extent. I'm just like, Oh, my God, I love that so much. What, what, what type of characters have you have you been cosplaying recently?
4: A lot of magic characters. Um, Nyssa is my probably one of my favorite ones. I have uh, her most recent costume. And then another character, Admiral Beckett Brass, who's from Ixalan. Uh, she has a giant blue pirate hat, which is great to wear around.
2: That is that, that's, that's the first thing I, I saw. Ashlyn, she uh, was on Game Nights, which is at the studio she's at now. And she cosplayed as Admiral Beckett Brass when uh, uh, the set... It was Ixalan, right? Yeah, it was Ixalan, yeah. Was coming out and played that. And I was like, she's pretty good at this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Do you do you make all this stuff as well?
4: I do. Uh, actually, for that one, I had to make that costume in seven days, which was insane. What? I spent like that night, like hammering um, the little eyelets into the cape. It was <laughs> like an hour before the shoot. Is like, no, I'm going to get it done. They're like, they're not going to see the back of the cape. and I'm like, no, I'll know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like that's a, a common occurrence amongst cosplayers. Yes. That's what I hear lot. No a one will lot. see
4: it but you. Yeah.
0: But it means something. It means that you can't really be have the swagger unless you know that it is uh, uh, what your vision was. Exactly. <laughs> Ashlyn
2: is, is also... She's just, like, very good at, like, actually putting this stuff together. Like, I, um, when we put together our little costumes for our show, because part of, like, what Saving Throw likes to do is have a very visual element to um, the, the shows that we produce and stuff. And I had... My, I had like my Minotaur helmet, and I mentioned that I was like, "Oh yeah," and actually one of the horns is missing, but like I didn't, the tips of the horns is missing, and I didn't know how to do that. And Ashlyn uh, just between seasons is like, oh, "Can I borrow your helmet?" And <laughs> for and reasons, she, she made a like cap for the horn with with like little rivets around the outside, and I was like, "This is so good."
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is that is a very special skill and i'm excited uh for you to come in costume for uh for d live there's been always been a a big part of these events is to make it feel like it's a, a celebration of all the creative endeavors that are yeah. related to dungeons and dragons and and so we were bringing in a group called uh, uh sunweaver creative uh to uh you know hire Professional cosplay performers uh, nice. who will be in costume, but then also uh, improvising with some of the attendees and, and giving little bits of story and, and stuff. So I'm excited for that, the yes. whole event to have that feel of like you're walking into uh, the world that we're introducing. Right.
4: Oh, that's amazing. I'm so excited to see all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I, hope it, <laughs> I hope it all works. It's, oh, it's like
4: walking into like Universal or something and you're like, you see like the, uh, Diagon Alley, or something. You're like, whoa! I'm actually here, it's just, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I said it in the in the intro, but the, I had that moment in uh, for for streaming many eyes when I saw Waterdeep and I saw all of the the cosplayers that we had there uh you know doing fights and stuff and I, I you know we didn't get to show off as much of that on the stream itself it was really only if you were there in person that you got to see uh some of the fight choreography um but they were they were amazing and they did stuff that made it look like you know mages and and all these things doing fights but they were all doing it through through with no visual effects but just through choreography and dance uh yeah. in, in some ways and for, and wow. and i I literally was, I had to leave and cry in a corner because my vision had come true. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that that, that same uh, Christ, uh, level yeah. of emotion will come from, from, from this event. Uh, it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be even more complex. Than an <laughs> uh, cool. All right. So, uh, so, Ruben, what are you going to be in costume as?
3: Uh, probably <laughs> as Dungeon Master at the beginning. Although, I do have uh, a costume turtle shell. Um, Ooh, so
0: for, your, for your turtle?
2: My turtle. So I might turtle it up for part of the show.
0: You have some turtle annihilation happen? That's
2: right. Yeah, I, I, I cosplayed an elderly turtle monk for a, for a show, for a D&D game nice. that we, we did on Saving Throw a while back. Okay. They're fun to dress as. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, uh, so Jordan, you've been doing probably stuff the longest with with Saving Throw, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Um. So I got involved in Saving Throw. Um. We were actually playing. Uh. In Eberron, uh, we weren't actually using the original like Eberron uh, like setting and rules. I, I think it was we were playing in Dungeon World mm-hmm. the setting. Um. But the Adam
0: Kobold's uh, uh RPG, right?
2: Yep. Mm hmm. And I got involved with Saving Throw because we just had a home group playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And after uh, one of our sessions kind of came to a close, one of them was like, hey, I'd like some of you guys to come on this channel and, and do that. And so, uh, yeah, outside of this, I, I do... Well, we just wrapped one up, but I was doing two other shows on Saving Throw, one that is a, a Starfinder show mm-hmm. thing, and uh, one that is a Savage Worlds show. So it's, it's been fun doing lots of different... Um, Tabletop RPGs, but it's also been kind of classic. Just getting to like actually do a straight up Dungeons and Dragons show, yeah, for a while. For sure, I, I
3: wanted to just quickly talk about Saving Throw and how wonderful they've been to me as a new person to the the industry. Yeah, there we go. Sure, <laughs> um, I had been working with them trying to put together a Skype based show long before it was any official Dungeons and Dragons connection. And Dom and the rest of the team at Saving Throw have been nothing but a pleasure and a privilege to work with. And you all should check out all of their content because they are exactly who you want to work with when it comes to streaming games. They are just lovely people, Jordan notwithstanding. Um, But but, I'm the exception that proves exactly. Yeah.
0: I mean, he um, looks pretty lovely. I mean, he's all right. He's he's got the green shirt, you know, it means happy and positive. Well, it's on a good public face. You know, you know, <laughs> darker. Yeah. Behind the well, scenes. Don't
4: play Commander with him. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's but good. Yeah,
0: That's it's, good it's, advice. Uh,
3: but yeah, they, they, um, all of their programming is great. Um, recently, Sam DeLev ran a, a one-shot adventure of, uh, a system and raised a bunch of money for, um, uh, what was the, it was the Trevor project, Trevor project. um, and they raised like $6,000 for charity for the Trevor project. And they do a bunch of programs like that. And they're just spectacular to work with.
0: That's amazing. I've I've always been uh, a big fans of of their work, uh, wanting to find a way to work together with them. And I'm glad it came together for for Broken Pact. And uh, yeah. I'm excited to uh, you know have them have a bit of a talk show going on at D and D Live as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, nice. that's gonna be really exciting, and I and I, I can't wait to to hear their thoughts about what this fun new adventure is that we'll be announcing on uh, on May 17th. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm excited for, for all of the things, uh, you know, and I, and I want to see the finale. So when is the finale? It's this Monday, right? Yeah, the finale is this coming Monday. The season
3: finale of Ravnica the Broken Pact, the Guildmasters mm-hmm. Guide to Ravnica show here on Twitch.tv slash uh, D&D, is Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it is probably going to be a little longer than our three hours, depending on how fast our players get through all the things <laughs> we need to get through. It's like you got to finish when you got to finish. You got to finish when you got to finish. We got a few things to wrap up this season. Um,
0: sorry. Big, sorry, East Coast folks. That's going to go to like four in the morning.
3: Or yeah. check it out. It'll be worth it. The D&D, it does come on the D&D YouTube. It does. Need- um, uh, and uh, I haven't announced this anywhere, but the episode is going to be named Common Bond. Mm. Ooh. Um, and so that is episode 20, Common Bond, is going to be airing on Monday.
0: So is that a magic card? Bond.
3: It is. All the episode titles. That's what I was just going
0: to say. <laughs> they all are, right? All the,
3: episode <laughs> to, all the episode titles have been Ravnica cards. Nice.
0: Keeping uh, the theme. And I, name,
3: and I name a bunch of my like stores and locations after magic cards, and I use a bunch of the flavor text from magic cards. Love it. Um, I do a bunch of that kind of stuff, too, so.
0: Cool. So for folks who are listening to this, uh, podcast wise, this premiere would have already, or the finale would have already happened. Uh, but again, you can watch it on video demand on, uh, twitch.tv slash D and D as well as slash saving throw, uh, uh, and, um,
2: show yeah. on Twitch.
0: And, uh, so when is, um, I, this is one thing that I happen to notice cause I just was downloading, uh, the podcast, uh, version of this When is season two going to drop on, on that.
2: Uh, I, I, I'm not sure who I don't manages putting that up, but we're trying to get it out pretty fast. I, yeah, you know, it's it's a matter of like the first priority is always getting things. Uh, well, with our other shows, is getting stuff on YouTube, and then we want to make sure that when we actually put out the podcast, we've like got the opening and closing, and that it like feels well done. Yeah. So, but we're we're getting that out as you know, nice. as
3: season one we'll of the last podcast. Social media when we do.
2: Yep, yeah,
0: absolutely. that's right. Yeah, so yeah, where? Uh, why don't you go? Just throw out where you guys can find out information about uh, Broken Pact as well as yourself individually on on the so- social social Uh Yeah, season one of the Broken Pact is available
3: on iTunes and Libsyn, I believe. Um, and so you can go download that anywhere and season two will be coming anywhere, uh, uh, anytime soon after the season ends. Uh, hi everyone. I'm the internet student Wrestler. You can follow me at (laughs) M O X R E U B Y on all the social media things. I also host a magic, the gathering talk show on Wednesday nights called magic mics. That's M A G I C M I C S. It's a pun. This Wednesday, we have an official preview for war of the spark coming. So you won't want to miss that.
2: This, this like. well, people who are watching it later might oh, be sure. After, right? sure. That would
3: have aired,
0: what would that be, this Wednesday? <laughs> That's all is- right. Time travel is really hard.
3: It is. Um, but yeah, uh, so that that broadcasts live on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, and this one has our preview for War of the Spark, uh, which would have been April 17th, if you're listening to this at a later date. Uh, so please do join for that.
0: Excellent. All right, what about you, Jordan?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JordanPigeon. Uh, where sometimes I tweet about things. I When the D&D selfie thing came around, I, I was very proud of my D&D selfie because mm-hmm. I, I saw the SNL sketch that people were uh, a little upset about, and I realized I had the exact same shirt as one of the characters. So I just dressed up as exactly like one of them as I could mm-hmm. for it, which I thought turned out pretty funny. Um, <laughs> well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, And then also, uh, just for more Saving Throw information, uh, because, you know, we tweet about the shows and news about uh, the podcast and upcoming episodes and things like that, you can follow Saving Throw on Twitter at Saving Throw Show.
0: Awesome. Mm -hmm. We also have a
2: Discord where
0: you can talk about the
2: show. Yes. Yeah.
4: All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Ashlyn Rose and then on Instagram at RAR. It's Ashlyn, (laughs) R-A-W-R. And uh, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Ashlyn underscore Rose.
0: Excellent. Uh, I'm so happy to talk to someone who expresses themselves with their hands as much as I do.
4: Yeah, I'm all over the place. <laughs> me too.
0: There was a one point I, people made fun of me about trying to do a Venn diagram, and I was making this motion over and over again, and I, it, I will never live it down. And now I think I just – it's part of my thing, right? <laughs> it's a Venn diagram.
4: You, they're like, hey, how's it going?
3: <laughs> hey. physicality, uh, physicality at the table is something that I really like doing. You know, when you're playing as a dragon and you arch your back or you – are playing as a cyclops and you close one eye or you're doing this as a three-headed monster or whatever. For sure. So I am, I am all for the physicality of showing what a Venn diagram is. with your head.
0: <laughs> Nice. It's the only way. And I'm sure it's real clear to people are like this is Venn diagram. Yeah. I
4: knew right away. <laughs> you
0: knew. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. You are all three wonderful storytellers and I'm excited to uh, see you in person at D&D Live.
2: Well, Absolutely. thanks for having us on there and on this. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you so you. much. Awesome. great to talk
0: with you. And uh, check out the finale uh, any way you can, uh, and uh, we'll we'll have more news about more futures for Broken Pact coming up. That was such a fantastic interview. I love uh, talking to creative folks, uh, bringing in the ideas of. What's happening in the Magic the Gathering lore and universe and story. Uh, there's so much going on behind those cards. Sometimes you only really get it in the flavor text on each of those uh, magic cards. Or in the artwork. Um, and I love that in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, the product that Dungeons & Dragons made uh, last fall, that we brought a lot of that lore to life. And, uh, you know, well, we, we, we gave you the tools to bring it to life. And it is folks like uh, Ruben and his cast from... Uh, the broken pact that we're able to bring it actually to life and uh, for all of you. So I hope you have enjoyed what's been going on with those characters. I certainly have. I've been uh, playing a lot of magic lately, uh, both digitally and paper. So I I'm love seeing all those come to life. So uh, here's to more. And they're going to be at, uh, at D&D Live. So I'm excited to see what they are bringing to the table there. Um, I let you know about a whole bunch of products uh, in the intro, uh, and uh, so I don't necessarily want to go over any more, but I do want to make sure everyone knows that Stranger Things D&D role-playing game starter set will be in stores very soon if it's not already available to you. uh, That is a way to get Stranger Things fans, people who love that show on Netflix, uh, which is basically a love letter to Dungeons & Dragons as well as uh, kind of 80s action, you know, Occultish type movies uh, in, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and, uh, you know, by what's shown in that show uh, about role-playing in Dungeons & Dragons gets that... You know, carrot uh, showing up in people's brains, and they might want to try to jump into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that's what this starter set is all about. It is a, the basic rules of Dungeons and Dragons contained within a dice set, uh, an adventure uh, that is made to look like it's from Mike's notebook, uh, which I think is super cool. The adventure is called, and make sure I get it right: uh, the hunt, hunt for the Thessal Hydra. Uh, so it takes. Um, cue uh, from, from season two there, but it also includes a bunch of references and things to both, uh, for both D&D fans as well as fans of the show. Uh, so jump into that if you can. Um, and it also comes with two miniatures. One is a painted Demogorgon uh, that looks like the one from the show and one is an unpainted mini uh, that you can paint yourself. So, hopefully, this inspires more people to jump into uh, creating and painting minis because uh, I think that's, that's a really neat hobby. Something that I do not have the patience or the manual dexterity for, but I know a, l- a lot of other people uh, love to do that. And uh, hey, you know, now I might want to be inspired to do that myself. There's also going to be two new Endless Quest books coming this year. We'll be talking, hopefully, to Matt Forbeck about uh, these, but. Um, they are a kind of a pick your path storyline, so uh, it's it is a novel, but you can kind of make some choices in between and go to different areas to uh, feel like you have some uh, some active participation in the story. Uh, the four that came out last year were all based on uh, the four major classes on Dungeons and Dragons: so, fighter, mage. Um, rogue and cleric uh, but the two new ones are uh, a cleric and a rogue adventure the cleric adventure is called Escape from Castle Ravenloft and of course has everything to do with escaping a Strahd's lair before you are doomed to remain there forever and then uh, a similarly themed one, but it's a rogue adventure, The Mad Mages Academy, where you have to go in and steal the spellbook of Halaster Black Cloak from inside the halls of his Magic Academy in Undermountain. So that's pretty cool. And uh, those books will be coming out later on this year. We also have the D&D Adventurers, um, Young Adventurers Guides uh, that are being created by Jim Zub as, as well as a wonderful team of folks putting together stuff. Uh, those are kind of the bridging the gap between starter set, uh, to, uh, you know, jumping into the core rule of the player's guide. It has a lot of themes uh, about Dungeons & Dragons uh, that may not be familiar to young readers. They're, they're designed for readers from 8 to 12 years old. Um, and it gets, you know, the fun of what makes Dungeons & Dragons cool kind of across uh, and then hopefully allow them to jump in and start, uh, start playing uh, with all of those um, concepts and themes uh, in their brains already. So those are pretty cool. Those are coming out, uh, two of them, in July and uh, two more coming in later on this year. So we'll be talking more about those in the, in the weeks to come. But just want to make sure those were on your radar for people who are uh, parents and or uh, just like reading amazing books. Yeah, that's it. Um, I would tell you all of the, or I would spoil all of the Avalon Hill news here for Shelly, but I think she would possibly never come back on the podcast, but I'll be doing that for sure at D&D Live 2019 when we're streaming live in front of, uh, hundreds of, and maybe even thousands of people. So, uh, I'll put her on the spot and make sure she tells you everything about what's happening there. Uh, all right, well, that's it. I am uh, at Greg Tito. You can follow me there on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. Uh, if you want to find out everything about Dungeons & Dragons, go to uh, DungeonsAndDragons.com. Uh, if you want to find out more about D&D Live, that's at uh, dnd.wizards.com slash D&D Live 2019. Check out all of our social on Twitter uh, at Wizards underscore DND uh, or on the Dungeons and Dragons Facebook page. Uh, we also are on Instagram as well. We'll be doing more posting there definitely from the event as that is a picture perfect area. Uh, it's fraught with amazing photos and images. So we will be putting posting a lot of those over uh, the course of the event uh, in May. So go ahead and give that account a follow as well. Uh, if you want to find out about Avalon Hill stuff, go to uh, their Twitter page, at Avalon Hill uh, 2. There, there can be only two. I think that's their, their catchphrase. That's why they, they chose uh, that. Um, uh, and of course, they have a website and Facebook page as well. Um, and, you know, Shelly's at Shelly Moo, uh, so you can bug her and let her know uh, on Twitter when she can return and add some more levity to these intros, mitros, and outros. Uh, in the meantime, I'm so glad she's not here because no one is going to be, you know, digging around on the roof of this cave making sure that there's no uh, uh, dangerous, you know, creatures or medusas or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I do have one thing to protect us, and that is this Platinum Marcom Award <laughs> for the Stream of Many Eyes. So I'm just going to put it there and hold up everything uh, on, on the precipice. Oh, it's not strong enough! my oh,